Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good evening, and welcome back to The Iron List. The least? The least of the Iron? Yeah, the least of them. <laughs> no, it's actually the most. Uh, this, is, this is probably the longest podcast we do. Uh, this, welcome, everybody, to the Iron List podcast. Uh, this is a monthly podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, where we uh, do a competitive top ten list as chosen by our patrons over at patreon.com slash... Critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I write over at Slash Film. And uh, I don't have a nickname over there. Just write over at Slash Film. Yeah. Well, they, you should have a nickname. They should call you Chopper or something uh, cool. I, I have. Uh, I, working there, I quickly develop, developed a reputation as one of the Star Trek guys. Ah. Uh, and there's actually a bunch of Star Trek people over there who sure. like, are, you know, know all about all the various shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, so I find myself writing about Star Trek a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind, just because... Can't imagine you would. F- fond of Star Trek. Yeah. It's like I write three Star Trek articles in a row. It's like, I'm going to write about something different, so just, like, just to take a break. Do they call you, like, the captain or something? Oh, God, no. They should. <laughs> Vice Admiral, please. Ooh, Fleet hey, Admiral. Commodore Seibold. Anyway, here at the Iron List, as I said before, we do, once a month, we do a big old top ten list, a list of recommendations for you, the people at home, as chosen by our patrons. We uh, pick a group of topics, the best of so-and-so, a genre, a filmmaker's oeuvre, a year, maybe something else, and whichever one our patrons choose, Whitney and I each do a top ten list. We do not talk about the list with each other ahead of time. We each have our own criteria for what matters, what what qualifies for mm-hmm. each list, and we don't always agree on that, so sometimes the lists are very, very different. Um, well, good, they ought to be. Yeah, I think they should. That's part of the fun of it, really. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we usually have like one or two overlapping films, but I don't think we've ever had more than three, maybe four. Maybe, yeah, um, and uh, different from other lists, these aren't meant to be sort of set in stone these aren't no. for posterity's sake no these aren't definitive these, uh, this is a recommendation more than anything these are recommendations or just an excuse to talk about movies we like yeah uh, yeah we we make no claims to permanence yeah nor are, are any of our lists ranked in any meaningful way mm. our number 10 pick is no less recommended than our number two pick uh, the only difference is we do have a number one pick. If we had, you know, if if it was aliens landed and said, yeah, Bibbs, she- Whitney, you, 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 we will destroy the planet unless you're honest with us about what you really think, hmm. like, the best werewolf movie is, you gotta tell us. And I'd say, ah, Ginger Snaps! And then they'd be like, okay, thank you. And well, I mean, they're, they're like, aliens. What do I would just say, Gremlins 2. And, you know, just... They're gonna find out later and come back. They're gonna do the research. You think so? You think they? You think they can't check Wikipedia? 
I think, I I think, think they can. They're too busy on their own Wikipedia. I understand. They wouldn't check ours. <laughs> I suppose that is the truth. Anyway, <laughs> the topic that was chosen for this month, Scary Tober, as we call it here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. <laughs> yes, or rather, as, I do. As we call it. Yes. I've never said that word. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's fun. Um, the topic was, and not all of the topics that were on the, on the poll were horror related. In fact, it was a very, very close poll. Uh, the winner was the best horror anthologies. Now, what that means, if you're unfamiliar with the term, uh, these are movies that are not just one movie. They are a group of smaller movies all presented in one feature length package. Uh, a lot of TV shows do this like every single week. Stuff like Creep Show, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits. Every week you come in and there's a new story. But in a feature film, there's a whole bunch of shorter stories, sometimes just two, sometimes way more than that. And yeah, and in the horror genre, it's actually a pretty popular genre. It's a great opportunity for a whole bunch of different filmmakers to experiment, try new things, have some fun. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it's led to a lot of really entertaining movies over the years. The genre dates back to the silent era. And it's still going strong today. We literally just had a prominent new horror anthology get released last week as of recording so there were a lot to choose from uh i i tried to do some catching up on a few classics so-called classics that i had never had an opportunity to watch this month uh and i'm very very curious what whitney chose whitney uh, was there anything in particular that was important to you in your criteria uh no just an anthology film didn't have to have like a specific specific kind of linking material Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and you know the horror genre is important. I was yeah. this close to including heavy metal on my list. Yeah, that's but that's close. not quite a horror movie. Like, like, it's more of like genre mix. It's mostly science fiction. There's like two. There's one definitely horror short in heavy metal that's hmm. about like zombies on an airplane. Right. That one's really cool. And there's like a couple that I think are like kind of half and half, but it's mostly sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a cool ass movie. Oh yeah. I, I dig heavy metal. Uh, it's it it. Belongs to this sort of, like, scrappy, uh, uh, kind of, like, uh, ultra-cool, uh, left-of-the-dial kind of rock-and-roll uh, aesthetic and uh, sensibility that we don't really have anymore. And also from that uh, really glorious era in the 70s through, like, the mid-80s where there was actually a small market, but there was actually a market for adult-themed uh, uh, animated movies. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they were very raunchy. Sometimes they were just kind of violent. Or, mm. but they oh, honestly just sought a mature audience. They weren't yeah, being they, made for old the, kids. Basically, the, the, the heyday of Ralph Bakshi. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I didn't include heavy metal. Okay. Uh, I, I really. Oh gosh. And now my, my phone is making noises. Sorry. Every that. week. Every week. Yeah. I yeah. apologize for that. Um, so no, uh, there were no, uh, yeah. no actual criteria. Uh, I didn't get to catch up on some films that I hadn't seen. Okay. Uh, just this last week, you reviewed a film called VHS 99. Yeah. Brand new. Uh, one, yeah. And that was That's the one f- I was talking about. That was the fifth film in the series of VHS films. I've seen most of the first, uh, and I've seen none of the others, so <laughs> okay. I, I can't speak to the VHS movies. There's also uh, some rather popular films called The ABCs of Death. Oh yeah, uh, which I saw the are, first one of those. Uh, yeah, there's two two films in the in those series in the series, and uh, each one is made of 26 different very short shorts. Yeah, uh, devoted to a different little letter of the alphabet. Like A, a is for die. Armageddon, yeah, B yeah. is for I don't know Buzzsaw, whatever they did. Yeah. 
And yeah, they did it twice, and yeah, each letter points yeah. to a way to die, and they just depict somebody dying, and then they go on yeah. to the next one. Didn't uh, see those, uh, yeah. and I've heard there's a lot of interesting filmmakers who yeah. sort of chip away through that. Uh, I, I tried to make an effort to see more of the films that were made by Amicus. Uh, oh. Amicus was a mostly horror distribution. It's famous mostly for its horror stuff. Uh, around the time that Hammer was releasing a lot of Dracula movies and Frankenstein movies and Mummy movies and kind of just putting their sort of sexy stamp on the monster genre, Amicus decided that they were going to be the anthology horror group. And yeah. they did a whole bunch of films that were basically, here's a bunch of classy actors. You got Donald Pleasance. You got uh, uh, Christopher Lee. You got Peter Cushing. You got whoever. And well, most of them were directed by a, a British actor, Freddie Francis. Yeah. He, he did a lot of these movies. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it was basically, here's a bunch of British people. We came up with the framing device. We did a couple of short films and boom, bitty, boom, bitty, boom, bitty, and we're out. I've seen some of them. There's at least one that made my list, but I, there's quite a few out there and I didn't get a chance to see them all. And that was kind of like a background goal for my month of October. And I didn't get to all of them, which someday, someday, uh, my well, only rule was uh, I, I, I didn't allow any anthology films where one might argue that the HBO era Tales from the Crypt movies is technically an anthology movie series because every installment, Demon Knight, Bordello of Blood, yeah. and then that weird voodoo one they did later. It's called Ritual. Ritual, that yeah. was it. Uh, one could argue that those are anthology movies because each movie was like a different story. However, I felt that wasn't in keeping with the premise. No, that's, that's not the spirit of the thing. No, the spirit of the thing is whether there's a framing device or not, you go to a feature film and you see multiple short horror films that may or may not be directly connected in yeah. some way. So that was the only thing for me. The other thing that made it difficult is by the very nature of the horror anthology film, whether they're all directed by the same person or, as is more common lately, a whole bunch of different filmmakers put their own stamp on each little piece of it, even the best horror anthology movies can be wildly inconsistent. Oh, absolutely. In yeah. fact, that's part part of their charm. I think so. Is that you get some good and some bad, and you get yeah. to sort of compare them. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's kind of the pleasure of seeing anthology so, movies. So for me, I gave bonus points for consistency. Okay. Uh, however, there's at least one or two on my list that are like just one installment is so good, mm. or they did one thing right, and I've, the rest of them are just the West Ham don't bring it down too much. Yeah. I've, so there, uh, the few of them are not like wholly great movies, uh, but they're fun anthology movies, I, and they deserve to be. I have celebrated. at least at least one where it's uh, like all of the shorts are great except for one. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but you mentioned Amicus Films, you mentioned Tales from the Crypt, so I'm going to start with Tales from the Crypt. Oh, from, snap. From 1972. I uh, thought this had a chance of being your number one, actually. I'm curious. Oh, good it, idea, it came very close to being mine. It's not, but it came very, very close to being mine, and it is on my list, too. Okay. Oh, great. Yeah. All right. So we start with the yeah. 1972 version of Tales That's from right. the Crypt. Um, uh, it's kind of astonishing to think about sort of... Uh, a, American culture in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, you think of 1950s and a lot of the popular images of, uh, you know, diners and car culture and teenagers coming into mm. their own as a demographic kind of yeah. start invading. A lot of very mind. wholesome sitcoms. This this this, yeah, the, uh, this false image that we presented of America as a wholly wholesome place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you go to the comic stand... <laughs> And William M. Gaines is making, like, the most violent shit you could imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, so violent, in fact, he was taken to court. Yeah. There's actually, if, if you... Hell, this is one of the reasons why Marvel Comics exists. The popularity of horror comics in particular, and, and crime comics and other similar violent comics in the 50s, 
was so overwhelming and was part of this incredible massive outcry. Uh, see if this sounds familiar. A whole bunch of parents were stirred into a fervor through bullshit and lies and decided to scapegoat something and tried to get books banned. And they succeeded in this case. There were whole comic book burnings in the 1950s mm. over this uproar over how violent comics were and this led to a system of self-censorship in comics much like the production code in Hollywood that basically made sure that comics were trying to be as unoffensive as possible and by unoffensive I mean actually genuinely offensive by omission there are a lot of things <laughs> that are very healthy that they were not allowed to show because racists mm. might be offended uh, but uh, because of this, move, comics were not allowed to be super edgy, and there became a renewed focus on stuff like superheroes because that was marketable. That, that's that what was, they could that, make. That's what could get make it in underneath. And Stanley was standard was yeah. called the Comics Code yeah. Authority, and it wasn't yeah. really an authority. No. It was, kind of, was self censorship. It was. There wasn't like a body that was actually. I, I think there that. was, but I don't think it was very official. It was yeah, basically yeah. just to show it to some people. But basically, Stanley got so bored writing that shit that he was like. I want to get fired. So he just did whatever he felt <laughs> yeah. like doing, and that led to some of the creation of the comics that like, we yeah, know like of. Fantastic Four and yeah. Spider-Man and that kind of thing. So Tales from the Crypt was a comic book in that, in that run, and it was so violent that it led to Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. Yeah. Weird. And that's where we are today. Yeah. Uh, I prefer Tales from the Crypt comics now. Um, <laughs> as, as an adolescent, I read a lot of superhero comics. Yeah. I'm not going to poo-poo uh, no. all of it. But uh, we, we have a we have a restaurant. It, it used to be more of a chain. There was something a couple here called uh, Cafe Fifties. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that Cafe used to be able to buy at Cafe Fifties was they would have reprints of old horror comics. Oh yeah, yeah. And you could like pick up an old Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror and. They were still staggeringly violent. Oh, I yeah. don't. They're, I probably shouldn't have been reading that at six years old. They're still terrifying. Yeah, to this day, these are like sick comics, and uh, yeah. they're usually framed like, uh, like morality fables. Yeah, they they and, they're, uh, they're, they they're they're trying to like. It's usually someone does something bad and gets punished for it, and yeah, like in a karmic way. Yeah, there's like supernatural karma at, at work. It's like I'm gonna kill my husband, and then your husband comes back to life and kills you. Very and, common. Yeah. Uh. Uh. There was a lot of, and it was always deadly sins, mostly mm. lust, um, often lust, greed, was a lot often of it. greed. Uh, like yeah. someone will steal a lot of money or yeah. seduce somebody, and then yeah, meet their comeuppance. Uh, I don't know the actual uh, journey that Tales from the Crypt took over to England. That it was picked up by Amicus. The yeah, British I'm curious studio. about that. I don't know that either. And they did have sort of a Crypt Keeper character in mm. Tales from the Crypt, but not what we know from the HBO series. No, he's not like a rotting animatronic corpse. He's and, and just he a like guy a, in a cloak. And he wasn't like... In the comics, there were actually three hosts. There was the Crypt Keeper, there was the Vault Keeper, mm. and there was the Old Witch. Yeah. And, and, and there the, are other hosts as well, but those are like the big those three. Those were the three that yeah. like kind of introduced each of these comics. And they were interchangeable. Uh, they just looked different. Mm. And... Uh, they were all they were all like jokesters. Yeah, there was like uh, they took a lot of pleasure in, in the grim stuff. Ha <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes, and this man's flesh was eaten, and isn't that delicious? I want yeah. to eat some flesh myself. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, the host in the Tales from the Crypt movie from 1972 is just like a guy in a cloak. Well, it's not just any guy; it's Ralph Richardson, oh, who oh, is yeah. who is a dignified actor even oh. at the time. So it's actually like imagine if you've seen the HBO series Tales from the Crypt, which is. 
for reasons I do not understand, I'm sure it has to do with legal stuff and who owns the rights. Not um, on HBO Max, which is annoying as hell. Because yeah, it was one of the was one of the signature things that made HBO what HBO was. It's one of those things where like movie, TV, comics, and characters are like all owned by different. Yeah bodies and they can't yeah. reach a deal M. Night Shyamalan tried to get a reboot of Tales from the Crypt off the ground and just the legal rigmarole was just too complicated and he no, couldn't do no. it well we got Batman back so I, yeah. I have faith for Tales from the Crypt yeah, fingers crossed and, uh, and I have ba- the, by Batman we need the 60s Batman the 1960s, where the rights was, were all, all messed up for, de- up for decades for a long time. Uh, so finger, <laughs> fingers crossed but um, yeah, where was I going with this this is Tales uh, from the Crypt Ralph Richardson Ralph Richardson he was good mm. I don't know. I got nothing. Anyway, tell us from the crypt. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and the, but he, he provides the the bookend material. Yeah. Uh, the main characters of the movie mm-hmm. are all led into a crypt. Yeah, it's like like on a tour. Yeah, like here's here's here are the ancient cemeteries of England. Don't read anything into it. This probably won't be important later. And uh, we go from character to character, mm. and we kind of see a horror story featuring them. Yes, and and in, it's unclear if we're seeing them in the past. Mm. Or in the or, future, yeah. although eventually some of them die in their segments, so we realize it probably hasn't happened yet. Mm. Or, or has, has it? it? <laughs> uh, my favorite segment is the first one. It's uh, oh, the it's one that was actually adapted uh, into the HBO series as well. There's at and least the, two that have actually. Was the vampire one? Also, no, I think or? it was the, uh, uh, the 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 maze one. Oh yeah, I think yeah. I think that was a Tales in the Crypt episode too. Okay. I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe so. The first yeah. one definitely was. Yes, uh, where it's um, in the British movie, it's Joan Collins. Yeah, uh, and yeah, she uh, has uh, committed murder on Christmas Eve. She's trying to keep it uh, secret from her child, mm, who's upstairs who's, right now. Who's upstairs in the house, and yeah. while she's committing this murder, she's killed yeah. her husband. She's very happy about it. And and it's very uh, Christmassy the whole time. Yeah. Lights everywhere, music. And wouldn't you know it? There's a killer on the loose somewhere in the city, mm. and he's dressed as Santa Claus. Oh, it goes. It's such a good. It's one of those stories. It's very simple, and it's very Hitchcockian in a lot of ways. Like, I, I will I be able to pull off the perfect murder? Yeah. And then there's always like one detail you didn't think of, that kind of thing. And uh, seeing yeah. Joan Collins try to pull it off is great. And then the conclusion is so natural. Uh-huh. Like it, it's it's obviously it's a huge coincidence that there's a killer on the loose dress of Santa Claus, but it pays off really beautifully. Yeah, it's so yeah. great. Uh, um, and, and and it's if you've seen the HBO version, it's the same story. It's the exact same yeah. story. Yeah, they're, they're all these are all adapted pretty closely from issues of Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror or other yeah. similar EC comics. Uh, there's another one about a guy who is I think he's going to leave his wife, and then there's a car accident, and it's like he's trying to like find his way home, but there's a twist. Uh, there is, uh, oh, there's the one about, like, the people who are, like, trying to, like, get Peter Cushing. They're, they're so annoyed by Peter Cushing, their neighbor. Oh, right, That yeah. they're trying to destroy him. Peter Cushing is genuinely giving a sad performance here. He does not deserve <laughs> what's happening to him at all. He is absolutely bad. This, these people are ruining his good name. They're trying to just make it, they're just trying to drive him out of town. It's almost like, um, Jean de Florette. In a way, if you've ever seen that French classic with uh, Gerard Depardieu. Um, Peter Cushing just makes this one haunting, even though it's relatively straightforward plot-wise. But the one with the maze you were talking about is the one that takes place in the home for the blind. Yeah, called uh, Blind Alleys is that short, yeah. And and, and I like that one, too. It's pretty wicked. Um, And and, and the blind people get their revenge against the guy who's mistreating them. And then there is a monkey's paw story as well, which has a really fucked up ending. 
<laughs> of all the many monkey's paws stories well the monkey's paw is a story about a magical artifact and it'll grant a wish but it'll warp it in some way so that you'll wish you never wished that yeah, yeah. and you know some of them are kind of obvious i wish to inherit money and oh no my favorite uncle died but he left me all his money right that kind of thing and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and tur- the turkey sandwich on and- my bread <laughs> and, and, and i don't want any zombie turkeys <laughs> i turn into a turkey myself or any weird surprises uh, the final monkey's paw thing, and then you don't have any more wishes, and you're stuck like this forever. When I saw that as a kid, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> that sounded like you know, there's all these movies that are like, oh, and then you're tormented forever by something. And there's always a part of me in the back of my head. It's like, I feel like eventually I'd get used to that. <laughs> whatever the torment, is, like, whatever yeah. the torment, eventually you get used to it, right? A little bit, like it at least get easier. Like a little, you know? little Camus writing about Sisyphus there. Yeah, but like the the way that the monkey's paw one ends is like. No, I'd never get used to that. That's horrifying. <laughs> that's horrifying. Yeah. yeah. that's a, This is just... A, and Here's the cool thing about Tales from the Crypt, and maybe more so than almost any other... Uh, uh, like, There's a few that can say this. Uh-huh. It's one of the very few horror anthology movies where every installment is good. Some are better than others. Yeah. But they're all good. Uh-huh. Like, every single one of them is made... In a classy way, but it's not afraid to be horrifying. There's some; it's actually kind of violent in some cases. Um, Surprisingly, so for a um, yeah, like a mainstream British film from the seventies. Like there's well, guts sure. and gore. I actually don't know how mainstream Amicus Films was. If this yeah. was like in grindhouse theaters, or if this was playing. Well, by like the seventies, big movies were getting more violent, weren't they? And this yeah. is something that, and a lot of the violence is like. Someone should do like a, something about the the evolution of blood in movies because for a long time you really <laughs> it couldn't like show paint it. Paint for a long time, yeah. Poster paint, like even like some of like the best gory movies ever. Like look at some of the Dario Argento movies. That is bright red poster paint. Yeah, that's which, that's which, you you buy it, you believe it because yeah. it's consistent and like you know what it is, but it's also not realistic at all. Yeah. I, what really bugs me is. Uh, I mean, in the modern era, it's a, a lot of the blood is CGI, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it still doesn't look quite natural it, like they're trying they're really trying yeah to do a sort of animated blood spray but it's never gonna have this like the visceral heft of like actually just splattering blood on people what's the best blood in any movie what is the best blood in a- i have an answer uh, for this i'm curious if you do what is the best blood in any movie like the best blood has ever looked like the most like for whatever it was doing yeah uh, that's a good question um i'd have to think about that for a second uh, for me the original robocop Oh, just like when the squib Murphy work? gets all sh- like shot up. All yeah. the squib work, regardless of whether it's Murphy or anyone else being shot in that movie, the blood is the the bullet wounds are feel like something exploded in your chest. And I know that's not necessarily accurate, but it feels accurate yeah. based on the context of the story. And the blood is just genuinely it's not like shooting out of like an evil dead two kind of way, but the oh. blood spurts just feel so organic. In a way, while they're oh. still while still being a little cartoonishly over the top, like they found just the right balance between realistically looking painful oh. and clearly exaggerated for the purpose of cinema. Okay, yeah, which is think just of, right for RoboCop. I think of good like bleeding moments in movies. Like you've seen Michael Haneke's Cachet, right? Oh yeah, yeah there's yeah. like a single scene, just one scene of like extreme yeah. blood in that movie, but it is like so extreme and ter- and scary. That it really kind of shakes you. Same with um, Sanchuro has a really great use of blood. Um, I, I don't want to say what happens in Sanchuro, but uh, definitely stick around to the very end because there's this wonderful showdown between Toshiro Mifune and like the rival samurai, and mm. uh, it, it's like 
a beautiful example of black and white gore. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, and you can find, he, he's said this a lot, but uh, Bruce Campbell has talked about uh, how to make the best movie blood uh, mm. because he did a lot of it in, in those first two Evil Dead movies. Uh, he says you get uh, caro syrup, like it's like corn syrup, mm-hmm. sweet syrup, and yeah. you add... Find it at any big supermarket, yeah. yeah. Uh, you add uh, red food dye, of course. Yes. You add some non-dairy, like powdered non-dairy creamer to make mm-hmm. it slightly opaque. Yeah, and, you want it to be a little thick, yeah. And uh, he said it's very important to include a few drops of blue to darken yeah. the blood a little bit. Yeah, because blood isn't red, red. Not the, not the same no. way food dye is. No, right? no, it's yeah. not. Like, it's not. That's true. And I, actually, I one of the... I, I didn't get to make a lot of movies when I was in film school. I tended to focus on writing for a variety of reasons, but I did get to make a few, and I wanted to make sure that at least one of them, I got to make fake blood. Okay. I got to <laughs> did, actually did make, you use that recipe? I did. I okay. did use that exact recipe. It looked good, actually. Okay. It was very convincing. It's based on my limited capacity uh, in, in visual effects. So I got, like, I made, like, a, a homemade, um, you take... Um, uh, you take like a homemade syringe, like not like a not like you'd use for like your arm or anything like oh. that, but like you'd use for like a caulking gun or something. Uh, and sort of just with the needle removed, yeah, yeah basically, and uh, yeah, and you can make get a little blood spurt out of that, and you get a little hose and everything like that. It wasn't too complicated. Yeah. It was fun arts and crafts mm. day, and it was gross. Yeah. The problem is, and this is something they don't tell you, because it's caro syrup and because it's like sugary, mm. it does attract bees. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, well, but because it's caro syrup, it'll attract bees. Fast. Oh, <laughs> so we had to shoot around a lot of bees. Oh, basically, after we were shooting like in in Griffith Park, I wanted to make a horror movie in Griffith Park with fake blood that I made myself. It is not a good film. I will not show that to anybody. <laughs> I don't even know if a copy exists anymore. Oh, look, but it was fun to make. I think we've all made movies or written movies yeah. that we'll just never see light of day. No, and nor should they. But no. uh, in any case, but that's a good pick, and it's one of mine too. And I okay. love that movie. Well, um, I guess I'll move on to the sure. next. Oh. Let's see, I want to sort of keep this a little... I'll, you know what, I'll go for um, a, a movie that actually is has a, a problematic portion. Okay. Um, it, it's the Twilight Zone, the movie. Um, oh, I was debating this one, yeah. yeah. because uh, there was a segment directed by John Landis of Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah. Uh, in, in the mid-80s, they said, hey, why don't we do a, like, a f- feature film version of the Rod Serling TV series? Yeah. And uh, not a bad idea. And, and they so, got some of the biggest filmmakers of the time got, to do it. Uh, Steven Spielberg does one of the Steven shorts. Steven Spielberg. Uh, uh, Joe Dante does one of the shorts. Mm-hmm. George uh, Miller. George Miller does one of the shorts. Spielberg, uh, I said Spielberg, and, uh, and then John Landis. And... Mm-hmm. The, the controversy about John Landis is he was incredibly reckless and people died on set. Like, uh, really the, the, horribly. The main, the main actor and two children died in a helicopter crash that he yeah. staged during uh, his segment. Yeah, safety precautions so, uh, were not properly taken and... Um, yeah, uh, so... Yeah. And here's the thing. That's also my least favorite of the films. Yeah. It's not the be- it's the worst of the movies. No, it's it's really heavy-handed. It's not particularly well made. Yeah. And, and, and 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 yeah, okay, they they had to change some of it because of the horrible accident, mm-hmm. but um and also by the way, I'm not going to ruin your day. If you look up a lot of information about that horrible accident, um mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to look at John Landis the same way again. And other people in Hollywood as well kind of got mm-hmm. up scot-free on that sucker, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he was taken to court. He was, he, but he some was... people weren't and probably had at least... Probably yeah. should have at least been mentioned in that, but yeah, anyway. But, uh, uh, there's actually a really interesting uh, documentary series mm. on Shudder called Cursed Films, and they actually go through... These movies where uh, there was like death or violence on set, yeah. and uh, they just go through film by film, and and really, it's actually not 
like ghoulish or anything. It's mm. actually very sad and serious yeah. as a show. It actually like really looks at sort of the what this really meant. Be more careful when you're setting up these stunts. Don't yeah. be the sort of like rock and roll filmmakers because people get hurt. Yeah. Uh, so take that segment out, though. And the other ones are great. Um, I think two I, uh, of them are great. This is the other reason why I didn't really okay. I think it's really um, half and half. Well, I think what we need to realize about Rod Serling is that he was also, like, very sentimental. Could he be. could be very warm. And I think that's where why they got Spielberg in, because there's mm. uh, the short that Spielberg did was called Kick the Can. And it's about uh, very old people that are retirement mm. home and they're just reminiscing. They're feeling nostalgia. <laughs> and one of their favorite uh, games when they were kids was Kick the Can. Yeah. It's a game. You kick a can. That's kind of it. It's really like, an unremarkable yeah. game, yeah. But, you know, they, they have a, a great emotional attachment to this game. Would you know, they find a can. Some of them play kick the can as old people, and that turns them young. Yeah. Uh, but then they the, have the a decision one, the, to make. Do we yeah. stay young or do we be old again? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's a very Spielbergian story. It's also a very Sterling story. It's a pretty Sterling story. It's yeah. as Spielberg handles it, though, it's really treacly. Well, absolutely, it's treacly, yeah. but I think that's... And it's not horror at all. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, but I think, you know, if you think of Steven Spielberg, who's a pretty sentimental guy, watching The Twilight Zone, he's mm. not going to go to the one with any of the stories with, like, the devil or living mannequins. <laughs> he's going to go to the, the more sentimental well, stories. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Spielberg's also the guy who brought you Jaws and the Duel. Or just uh, Duel, actually. Duel, but, yeah. yeah. But, like, he's got a mean streak in him, especially when he was younger. I think that's actually one of the key turning points in Spielberg's career when he was just like, I want to be the nice guy. Yeah, I'm going to do gentler movies. Or, or I'm yeah. going to talk about, like, more serious, real-world topics. I can't remember if that episode was even written by... Uh, I think it was written that, by Serling. No, that one wasn't. The original Kick the Can was written by uh, George Clayton Johnson. Now, oh, Serling was the executive producer on the show. They all went through oh, him. Yeah. They all bore his stamp. But he didn't actually write that particular right. one. And indeed, he didn't write all the ones. That he, um, if I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I think he only wrote the John Landis original. Let me look this up. That's actually worth uh, knowing. Who, who, who like, wrote yeah. the scripts for this? Well, because I know Richard Matheson wrote the George Miller one. George Miller, didn't. it's my favorite of the, of the movie. It's uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Yeah. Uh, which is about a guy who is afraid of flying on planes. And he's trying to just get through a plane ride because he had to go on one. But he's panicking the he's, entire time. And then he happens to look outside the window, and his window is right next to the wing, and he sees a gremlin on the wing tearing away at the engine trying to crash the plane. And of course no one <laughs> believes him because every time they look, it's gone. Uh, the original was uh, starred uh, William Shatner, Shatner yeah. who d- does a good job. It's a good performance, actually. The problem with that one is that the monster doesn't look very good at all. It looks I, really I silly, to, actually. But the George Miller one, that monster is terrifying. I, I got to see a Q&A with Richard Matheson, uh, yeah. who you know, he also wrote like The Incredible Shrinking Man. Oh, yeah. and, and, uh, I Am I Legend. Legend is yeah. story. One of the great uh, like genre storytellers of the 20th century, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, oh, no, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's a towering figure. But yeah. uh, he said that uh, he preferred... The TV series version. You mm-hmm. like the Shatner version. Yeah. Uh, the only thing he didn't like about the Shatner version was the monster. He said it looks like a panda bear. Yeah, that, that, that was that wasn't exciting to him. He likes the monster from the movie, but his objection was uh, Shatner started as a man who was trying to keep it together and slowly became panicked, whereas John Lithgow plays mm-hmm. the role in, in the movie starts at 11 and only goes up and like it, it just is so crazy like he didn't like the, the energy in, it, it, in that it's, short. it's kind of like uh stephen king's issue with the shining yeah was that he was supposed to be a normal guy who like only became a murderer i'm like yeah he was already his kid was already like had his arm in a cast because his dad got drunk steve and i don't think yeah. you're i think you might be a little too close to that story <laughs> to really see what's in yeah, there but uh, 
But uh, but yeah, so the new one, yeah, the George Miller one is high intensity all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a really cute bit in the sitcom Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, yes. Uh, Where William the, Shatner shows up in a cameo. Yeah, yeah uh, John Lithgow play, plays the head of a family of aliens who are disguised as humans and they're yeah. figuring out hu- human interaction on Earth. And William Shatner was like the alien lord who came from their home planet to visit. And they pick him up at an airport and uh, he... It's Shatner, and it's, it's a big cameo. Like, kind of stumbles off the plane. You don't know it's Shatner. And there he is. He's wearing, like, the flight jacket and a hat. And he's drunk. Mm. He says, this was such a weird thing. I thought I saw a monster on the wing of the plane. And the audience laughs. Ha, 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 William Shatner. And then John Lithgow says, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> very cute. Very cute sort of double reference to, the, to Twilight Zone. Uh, my favorite short was the Joe Dante short because yes. that thing scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. That thing is weird. Uh, it's um, um, it's a good life, and it was uh, based on a on a Twilight Zone episode about a young boy, very young, who has godlike powers. He can manipulate reality around him at a whim, uh-huh. and. Because of that, he's a child, he has no impulse control, he's never had to learn wisdom or even discipline, and everyone has to constantly placate him, or he will do horrible, horrible things to them. And, and they're all completely miserable and haggard and stressed out, trying yeah. to stay on this god And he can side. read their minds, so if they even think about, like, doing something about their situation, he does, like, there's a really scary sequence where like he just looks at somebody and the camera twists and then all of a sudden you see the shadow of the guy and then boom it's a shadow of a human sized jack in the box swinging around <laughs> terrifying yeah, and there's like uh, I, I want you to put on a magic show dad reach in the hat and pull out a rabbit and uh-huh. the dad knows that something can actually happen and he pulls out a rabbit, and it's this gigantic monster rabbit, which really scared oh, me. Oh, yeah. And Joe Dante TV, went nuts. The TV splits open, and these mo- like cartoon monsters come out. Yeah. Scary, nightmarish stuff when you're a little kid. And if you misbehave, he wishes you out into the field. The cornfield. And yeah. you don't even know what the fuck that means. Yeah. You just know, you, you do not you, want You don't that. want that. That's the worst thing anyone can do. It's, it's just amazing special effects. Uh, yeah. Just really good, scary uh, images in that one. Mm. So, uh... The John Landis sequence notwithstanding, I mm-hmm. think there are some really good shorts in that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, the only one that that's, uh, that's based on an actual Rod Serling written episode was the John Landis one. Okay. And it's actually very, very different. The original uh, Rod Serling episode, it's called Quality of Mercy, uh, was about an American soldier at the end of World War II being sent back in time to like a Japanese... Uh, uh, to the Japanese army mm. at the beginning of World War II yes. and getting a new perspective on the conflict. Uh, in John Landis's version, it's about a bigot in the present day uh, who sent is he's racist and yeah. yeah he's racist, he's anti-Semitic, and uh, he is sent to various points in history where he is now like like quantum leaped into the body of people who are oppressed by mm. uh, bigotry, oppression, the Nazi Party, mm. etc. And he learns firsthand just how horrible it actually was, and he learns a valuable lesson. Um, it's really ham-fisted. Uh, for me, it's the, the last two are so damn good that I almost put it on here. Oh, and the, the framing device with Dan Aykroyd's really funny, but I'm not going to ruin that for you, because <laughs> it's really simple. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just, the Spielberg one isn't horror at all, 
And the Landis one, once you know what happens about it, it's really just kind of hard to take. But if you skip ahead to the last two, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's my take on it. So you, you can see it, and you can skip the John Landis one. If, yeah. you, if, if you feel like yeah, it. Yeah, if, 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 if you object. And I watched this movie as a kid multiple times before I found out about the story behind it. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it, yeah, I didn't it was know never all, my favorite part. Anyway. Yeah, it was never my favorite part, but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't learn about the details until I actually yeah. saw, saw it on the Shutter documentary. So, yeah, yeah it was very eye-opening. Oh, you didn't know all about it? You know, well, I, I knew that... I knew there was an accident yeah. and I knew there, there were deaths but I didn't yeah, yeah I didn't know exa- the story of the whole film and what happened after alright well uh, my next pick is a film that, and, and this would have been my like my number 10 pick because I usually reserve my first pick on these for like a weird one that's something uh, I want to like throw into the conversation that might not otherwise because you're going to notice some classics on here we've already talked about at least one arguably two um, but here's one I just like okay. uh, no, please, please don't pick my number one I <laughs> highly doubt this is even on your right. list uh, and this is a, uh, a horror and uh, comedy horror anthology from 2000 called Terror Tract oh I didn't I, I don't know this movie most oh, people I, don't I, I caught this on a whim uh, I was looking for a DVD copy of the late Scream era slasher film Cherry Falls Mm-hmm. Which is a really great Came slasher movie. Yeah. yeah, which is a really, really great slasher movie. And it didn't the scream the post scream slasher wave had already died down enough that this was supposed to go to theaters and ended up not going to theaters. But it's a very clever, very fucked up slasher movie about unlike most slasher movies where he'll kill you if you have sex. I uh, I uh, here it, it's uh, he'll kill you if you don't have sex. <laughs> so all the all the, everyone in town is just like, Oh god, there's so many virgins. We have to get orgies together, and it's very weird and strange and fun. And it's really fucked up, actually, once the plot really gets gets in and you find out what's happening. It's really dark. Uh, but a good movie. It was only available for a long time as a double feature disc. Like, on one side, you would get Cherry Falls, and on the other side, you get Terror Tracked. <laughs> and I bought it for Cherry Falls, and I was like, yeah, well, let's check out Terror Tracked. How bad can it be? I bought it. May as well. Might as well check it out. It had John Ritter. It had Brian Cranston before anyone knew who that was. And I watched it. And you know what? It's pretty good. It's got two highlights that really sell it over the edge. And I think it's worth seeing. The framework is clever. All right. Now, we've talked about uh, a film that has kind of an obvious framework. We're going into a cemetery. A creepy guy tells us stuff about how we're going to die. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. Twilight Zone the movie doesn't really have a framework. It's just a bunch of stories. I love when people come up with a smart thoughtful like like actually like makes sense framework for why we're watching these stories i always appreciate that and here the premise is this when someone shows you a house like a real estate agent or a realtor they are obligated i believe it's legally obligated to tell you if something bad happened in that house like okay. oh oh like oh like like there's a gag about this in one of the Lethal Weapon movies where Joe Pesci is trying to help Danny Glover oh, sell his yeah, house yeah. and he's just like people need to know that someone put a bomb in your toilet like I can't not tell them that I have I'm <laughs> legally required to tell them that I'm sorry if it scares them off um, so John Ritter plays a real estate agent who is showing a, a, a friendly young couple around at a bunch of houses in this neighborhood and every single time they ask some little pointed detail about like oh it looks like this wall was painted and he's like oh yeah there are a whole bunch of stains on that wall oh really how did that happen shit <laughs> and he's got to tell them the whole horrible story about what happened in the house okay. before the last family moved out and every single house has a really terrible story and that's a great idea yeah. <laughs> that's a fun premise especially right. considering John Ritter is a very fun actor and he knows how to like start telling a story alright um, 
a couple of the stories are pretty forgettable. There's one about a guy who's like trying to gonna kill uh, his wife and her lover, and it all backfires and then double backfires. There's one about a serial killer. That one's okay. The two good ones. One, Brian Cranston's uh, son or daughter. I don't remember actually. Brian Cranston is a father, and his child has a monkey. It's like the okay. monkey from Outbreak. And it, but it's also it's a little capuchin monkey. Yeah, but it's like it he it's tormenting him and nobody believes him. Nobody believes that the monkey is evil and it's driving him insane and it's going to be him or the monkey, damn it. And it leads to a huge confrontation between the guy from Breaking Bad and a monkey. And that one's fun. The other one that ends up being really really great and this is weird for a horror anthology. This is very unusual. Very very few horror anthologies can claim this. The Framing Device actually has a great ending and is arguably the best part. Uh, and I don't want to ruin it for you if I haven't talked... I've mentioned this before, but it just ends really, really well. And the, the last couple of minutes of the movie actually kind of freaked me out. I was high, to be fair. But <laughs> I, just because I'm high doesn't mean yeah, I lose yeah. my taste in movies. I think I might have been a little bit more susceptible to it. But it ends really big. <laughs> like, I was okay. surprised by, like... What a great stinger and like zinger of an ending that it had. So Terror Tract is evidence that um, just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's a bad horror anthology movie. Mm. Uh, some of them are very famous. Most of them are not. Uh, and Terror Tract is surprisingly solid. And if you're talking about... Because I know we're going to recommend a bunch of ones you've probably heard of. I suspect a few are going to make this list. Wanted to throw in some you've probably never heard of. And Terror Tract is definitely one that's worth checking out. All right, what's your next bet? Um... Uh, here's one I just want to recommend. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's one of the best horror anthology films of the year, mm-hmm. but, uh, or of all time. Uh, but I feel like recent years they've been picking up. I think That's it's a good been one. it's been a, uh, a good way to get a lot of low budget uh, films together. It's been a great way to get a lot of uh, sort of ri- uh, up and coming voices into the genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one that came out in 2015 that I was very fond of called Southbound. Oh, I like Southbound. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up. Didn't make my list, but I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, it, it's actually, uh, again, it, they run hot and cold. Sure, it's mixed. Uh, it grabs you right at the opening because mm-hmm. uh, it's about these two guys who are driving through the desert in broad daylight and they're terrified of something. Mm-hmm. And they keep on talking about they'll get us. And at first you think this is... Some sort of story of paranoia. Yeah. There's like something that you can't see. And then you see it. You actually mm-hmm. do. And it's some of the scariest monsters that I've seen in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. I've had nightmares where those monsters are oh, like, wow. that look like that are in it. Yeah. These sort of like floating things with like human looking heads, but also giant dragon wings. Mm-hmm. It's what I imagine if they remade the Langoliers, the Langoliers would look like. They kind of like, yeah. they, they look a little bit like, um, uh, the Dementors from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit. These, like, cloaked monster things. And just a good monster design and some mm-hmm. good special effects can go a long way. And that's the bookend. Mm-hmm. And they flee into a gas station. That's where the first uh, short takes place. The one I really liked, however, is uh, the David Bruckner short. The Accident. The Accident. This has stuck with me ever since I saw this movie. Yeah, the other shorts are good. This one is an this, all-timer. Yeah. The, uh, the the others are actually kind of hot and cold. There's one called Siren. People, mm-hmm. like, barf black stuff. And that's it's not gross. so mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that one leads directly into the accident in an yeah, unexpected yeah. way. And, uh, yeah, it's about a guy who is just sort of not paying attention while he's driving. He hits someone with his car, and then he calls 911, and then the entire story is him, and he's in the middle of nowhere, no help is coming. Right. And it's him trying to solve the problem with only the assistance of someone on the other end of the phone. And he, uh... 
and he finds a, a hospital, uh-huh. and rather curiously, there's no one in it. Yeah. And you're not sure if this is, wait a minute, has he entered purgatory? Uh-huh. Uh, is there something sinister going on at this hospital? Yeah. Uh, what is, I, what is, so this is leading somewhere, right? Yeah. So, and it does, and it's <laughs> fucked up. It's so elegantly like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that's, somehow that's worse than what I had in my head. Like, it's kind of simple, but it's, like, it's that much more horrifying. Yeah. That is one of the most mean-spirited, but in a good way, like, in a way a horror movie should be. One of the most mean-spirited horror shorts I've ever seen. (laughs) And it is genuinely frightening from any perspective. Whether you're the person who's been hit or the person who was driving, it's just a fucking nightmare. Oh, Jesus, that movie. And, uh, uh, and David Bruckner uh, went on to do some pretty notable films. Yeah. Uh, besides, he did a, a great film called, uh, was it The Ritual? I think um, it was The Ritual, yeah, the Netflix one about the a, campers in the woods yeah, um, running into a, a demonic cult. And and, that's and, quite good. And uh, it, a lot of good interesting stuff, a lot of good like um, yeah. banter between these characters who are all like, kind yeah. of miserable characters. But, it's a little formulaic, but it's quite good. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, they, they when they and, f- start fighting monsters, they actually react in really kind of realistic ways. And, yeah. uh, and then, uh, of course, has a great monster at the end. Yeah, really like does. really cool design on a monster. And then David Bruckner uh, just did the new Hellraiser, which is, is good. It's, it's a good pre- movie. It's yeah. pretty good. It's uh, one it's, of the better Hellraiser movies. Yeah. yeah uh, so like he's definitely like a person to keep an eye on. It's not like you know transcendent, hmm. but you know again great. It's a mon- great, genuinely good Hellraiser. Movie. Great monster design. Yeah. I loved, and it's yeah some good scary painful moments in that movie. Yeah. Uh, and. Unfortunately, it's like Southbound kind of peters out after that. Yeah, There's two shorts after the accident yeah, that are, I might, I mean, are a little bit forgettable. I, I might have ended with Bruckner's if I had my druthers. Uh, I think it just, it's hard to come back from it, even though some of them are kind of big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's good, though. It's a, it's a solid... It's a good showcase for, for, for new talent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, the, and the, the premise is real simple. It's a bunch of horrible things happening on the same like isolated desert road. Yeah. That's it. That you don't the need anymore. Road and, yeah, and a lot of them do come back around to those creatures. And, yeah, and what I like is that the the creatures aren't like the crypt keeper. They're not sort of mm-hmm. overseeing anything. They're just sort of this is a part of the world where where just everything is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Reality is ripped, uh, and if you drive through it, you yeah. encounter these dark stories. So I, I like it's like I said, it's not mm-hmm. an all time classic. Yeah, but it is one that I think isn't being talked about a lot, and mm-hmm. I, I want to recommend it. Well, and the other uh, thing I think is worth noting is uh, the framing device was uh, directed by Radio Silence, mm-hmm. uh, who would go on to direct Ready or Not, which I think is one of the best horror movies of the last ten years with uh, Smart Weaving. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one. And then they also did the most recent Scream, which, oh, which I, I wasn't so fond. You of weren't so fond. I liked it a lot, but you weren't so fond of. But regardless, they're prominent directors mm. now. They've they've ascended from yeah, Southbound. But, and you look at some of these recent uh, horror anthology films, and the filmmakers have gone on to like bigger sure. bigger projects. Um, uh, Michael Doherty is another one uh, that we'll, mm. we'll probably get to. But uh, there's uh, a chance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there is a chance. Um, well, I'm going to go with another uh, of this era, of the okay. sort of more recent era of uh, anthology horror films. I'm going, And I think it's actually from uh, some of the same producers. Uh, I'm going to talk about... Uh, I had to pick a VHS movie. Okay. Because you, you recently watched them all, right? I, well, not recently. I've seen them all when they came out. I didn't just okay. recently watch them all. But I did recently talk about them all because the most recent installment, VHS 99, which is very, very good... Uh, came out last week. So if you're listening to this right after our critically acclaimed podcast for this week, you're going to hear some double up, and I apologize for that. But um, 
the VHS franchise started off just okay. The premise is VHS is kind of an older aesthetic, old VHS, VHS that's been taped over a lot, Uh has this sort of, is this a bootleg, is this... Something, someone creepy recorded. Like, did you record a creepy movie late at night and get all the commercials? It's just got this kind of very, uh, uh, what's what's what I'm looking for here? It, it it doesn't feel very professional a lot of the time. Okay, like yeah. when you've been re-recording over the same tape yeah. over it. Yeah, it's got an amateur's quality, and that leaves everything feeling a lot more found than even a lot of found footage movies. Um, so it was basically it was like we're trying to capture that aesthetic and tell a bunch of like found footage horror movies. The first VHS is just okay. It's it, <laughs> and that's 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 the only one I've seen. Yeah, and it was one of those movies that was yeah. playing at a movie theater where I was working. Yeah. So, uh, and this is true of a lot of movies I've seen. I saw like all of I saw all of the pieces of it. Yeah. While standing in the back of a theater, and yeah. eventually I could piece it together. You never really movie, got the full beginning to end experience. Yeah, yeah. Sat and watched it beginning yeah. to end. No, it's it's one of those rare instances where the first installment of the series is the worst. Usually oh, it's right. one of the good ones, and that's why we have all the others. But here, because it was so low budget, they were able to make it successful. And then, yeah, and then different filmmakers came in in more and more of the sequels. Uh, I would argue that VHS 2 has the best installment. It's called Safe Haven. It's from Timo Tajanto. Uh, it is one of the scariest shorts I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, that it's, and that one is really, really good. But I only wanted to pick one of these. Okay. Because I didn't want to load them up, and they're not... All that good. I think 99 might be able to get there at some point, but my pick for the best of the bunch, you should see Safe Haven if nothing else, but for the best overall film right now, it's uh, VHS 1994. Okay. uh, Which is the second to last one that they did. VHS 1994 uh, has a bunch of really, really good installments in it. Uh, There's one called Storm Drain, uh, which is about uh, a like a local TV station that is investigating a cryptid, a rat man. Uh, and that one has a very twisted sense of humor. Like it's mostly a scary movie, but then like at the end it like ends on a really sick joke <laughs> that is people who saw it have been quoting it ever since you might have seen the hashtag Hail Ratma. If you've been following any horror people, that's where it's from. It's pretty darn great. Uh, Simon Barrett, who wrote um, uh, you're next and the right, guest right, okay. uh, he directed and wrote a short called uh, The Empty Wake uh, which is about a woman working at a funeral home and there's a wake in the middle of the night and she has been asked to just stay here there's a big storm out we don't actually expect anyone to show up hmm. uh, but there's a video and we do the service for everybody we record the whole thing and so if anyone shows up uh, great but it might just be you tonight and of course, that leads to really, really scary things happening. It's very much based off of a classic Russian horror movie called V, V-I-Y, which is totally a classic and you should see it. It's good. The overall, like the overall quality is very, very good. Timo Chijanto has one called The Subject, uh, which is all from the perspective of a woman who has been kidnapped by a mad scientist. And he has been making like horrifying cyborgs like one of the first things you see is like a guy's head and he looks like Uh really really scared and then the camera zooms out and you realize his head has been placed on like an animatronic erector set spider body (laughs) and he's just wholly horrified and then like sparks fly and the head falls off and you're just like what the fuck am i watching and somehow it gets crazier from there that sequence is wild 
and really fucked up crazy like wild imagery like it's totally nuts um and then the last one is actually pretty cool it's the aesthetic that they're going for is uh what if there was a militia group making training videos which okay, they do yeah, yeah. um I've seen some in like documentaries and things, and they're they're terrifying in and of themselves because it's usually these <laughs> right. weird supremacist groups and people who believe that we have to arm ourselves for a coming revolution or something. Uh, but it turns out that there is a twist, and this white supremacist group has something supernatural, and but you don't know what it is. It's like in their right. basement, and it goes really bad <laughs> in wow. a good way. They All actually right. get what they get what's coming to them. Thank okay, God. Good. But like it's in a, it's done well. It's very very clever. Um, the whole thing works really, really good. The framing device is just okay. But uh, all the segments are really, really excellent. And if you only see one VHS segment, I would say see Safe Haven. But if you want to see a whole VHS movie, 94 is a great place to start because every okay. single one is at least quite good. Yeah, I, I do intend to yeah. see all the VHS movies at yeah. some point. I think... I think it's, 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 it's not for lack of interest. It's no. just you know, availability and time. The highlights stuff. are quite good. And of course, they're mixed bags and this is just the least mixed of the group. Okay. Alright, what you got next? Uh, I'll, I'll stick with this generation. I'm going to talk about Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat. Okay, um, didn't make my list. I didn't. Oh. No, man, I like it fine. It, for me, it's um, for me, it's all about the Sam episode. Okay, and all the other ones are just kind of okay. I think the werewolf one, it's kind of average, and that's yeah. that's the one that they advertise the most because it has Anna Paquin. She was like yeah. one of the big stars yeah. that they, one of their gets for this movie. Th- this was around the time that True Blood was still really, really big, yeah, and so really... her being in a horror movie made a lot of sense. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was about uh, a group of young women who were going through some sort of sorority initiation. Yeah, and of course, it ends uh, in a shocking twist. Yeah. Uh, uh, I actually like all of the shorts. There's a, a short with uh, Dylan Baker playing mm-hmm. uh, a really creepy Dylan Baker character. He's <laughs> yeah. very good at that. He's so good at that. Yeah. No, that that was yeah. pretty good. That's my second favorite. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, uh, there's yeah. There's the the Sam sequence is the one with Brian Cox. He is uh, beset by uh, a, a trick or treater, a young yeah. kid in a mask. And when he is a grumpy anti-Halloween yeah. guy, yeah, a trick or treater comes up and he doesn't give him candy. Yeah. He's he's terrorized by one trick or treater. It's basically like um, what if a Christmas Carol, except it was only one ghost, and they wanted to kill Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, pretty which, much. Which is not a bad. That's not a bad pitch. And honestly, Brian Cox really brings it. Like uh-huh. that that sequence is great. Yeah, I love that yeah. sequence. Uh, there's a, a pretty good, uh, and this is a sort of ghost story you might have heard in elementary school, yeah. about a school bus full of kids that died, like it drove yeah. into a lake and all the kids drowned. And so it's Halloween, some other kids go there, and wouldn't yeah. you know it, maybe ghosts are going to be there. Of course yeah. ghosts are going to be there. Of course. That, that's the way these things work. Uh, it's it's predictable, but I, I think some of the imagery is pretty strong in that sequence. And the whole movie is super pretty. That's the oh, other yeah. thing I really, really like about this movie. It just has... Really gloriously kind of professional spooky vibes. Yeah, you know, like it just it feels like you're it feels really like Halloween. It really does. Thing. It has that. It really does. Has that that sort of scary mm. party vibe to it that yeah. you don't get from a lot of Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. Then they've uh, got this uh, this thing that they're doing that um, not every uh, anthology movie tries to do, uh, where all of the stories are taking place in the same night and they a lot of them interact in the way. Yeah. Like a character so who is important will or, pass by the camera yeah. like two shorts later. Or like one there'll be like a, someone tells a story about what happened this time a long time ago and then you find out it's this other guy we've already met. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, and some of that pays off really, really good. Some of it doesn't, but uh, I mean, it's, they, they it all gets kind of a tapestry. They all kind of like, yeah, linked yeah. together in an interesting way. Um, yeah. I, I like Trick or Treat. Uh, I think it's that vibe that we were, that we mentioned. Yeah. That, uh, 
is what brings people back to Trick or Treat. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of films that are set on Halloween. There's even a whole series of movies called Halloween. <laughs> yeah. The first movie feels very Halloween-y to me. It was shot in Southern California during the spring. Yeah. But it still had, uh, like, something about Dean Cundey's photography and John mm. Carpenter's uh, direction gives it that kind of aut- autumnal feeling. Yeah. And, of course, and the other and, thing uh, about that one is that it actually has kids in it. Yeah, and Halloween is you know people like to have like fun Halloween parties for adults where everyone dresses up like sexy cats or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Halloween is mostly nowadays a holiday for kids, yeah. for kids to dress up. It's for kids to get candy and roam around their neighborhood. And the original Halloween remembers that this is a kid holiday, it's, and it's uh, about babysitters. They're actually babysitting, mm-hmm. and because the kids are carving pumpkins, watching horror movies on TV, scaring each other. It feels more Halloweeny than the later ones, where it's pretty incidental that it's Halloween after. Yeah, a while. I, I feel like that's something that fell out of the series, yeah. like with the first sequel, and just we never got it back. Yeah, they, they tried a little bit in four. A little, a bit. little bit yeah, in four they bit. tried, and then they gave up until. So it's it's all about Jesus, David. At least the, the Rob Zombie one, and then David Gordon Green. Yeah, and even those don't have like a, as much a Halloween vibe. To I, me. I think David Gordon Halloween. Green's first one does because there's Halloween. a lot of shots of the kids and like Michael there's, Myers there's like one, weaving uh, through. Yeah, there's the, one really yeah. great like one take sequence in the middle yeah. of the movie that takes place like out in the streets, and that's a good Halloween sequence. Yeah, like Halloween the holiday sequence. Uh, but yeah, uh, and I feel like um, in Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, the yeah. teenage characters go to like a teenage Halloween party, yeah. and they're just like Rocky Horror characters, and that feels a little bit more like adolescent Halloween. Yeah, because in the uh, original, Rob Zombie's first Halloween, Halloween isn't really a thing until the last act. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, shoved yeah. in the back end. Yeah. Uh, so Trick or Treat has that you know is unique and that it stands out and it feels kind of Halloweeny, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's really really rare, and as such, that feels more like a proper. Halloween movie mm-hmm. than just sort of the horror horror movies you typically consume in the month of October. Yeah, uh, and it got me. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend it. Yeah, uh, you know the reason why I didn't pick Trick or Treat. One is I thought there was a good chance you'd pick it because it's it's well liked. Yeah, people know that one. It's one of the more famous horror anthologies yeah, of the last it, twenty years or so. It, it grew a cult over the years uh, to the point where uh, now a, a second film yeah. list is has been put into production. They've been working on that for a while. Uh, it, it was it was filmed that everyone knew it was going to be a big deal. I think it was screened at some festivals, and then it kept getting pushed back, and then ended up going straight to video hmm. initially. Uh, I, I saw it uh, at uh, a theater that used to be open here in L.A. called the Cine Family. Yeah. Yeah, they had some special screenings, but it yeah. didn't have a proper theatrical release originally, so bummer. Uh, but uh, the, the other reason why I didn't pick it is because there's another film from this era that is uh, a Halloween-themed anthology uh, film that I like better. I figured you'd pick this one, yeah, so I, I, really, I, I chose really like, Treat. <laughs> I really, really like the film Tales of Halloween. Tales of, Tales of Halloween is great. It's and really, it's, really good. It, uh, the only reason I didn't pick it is because uh-huh. I had to pick between that one or Trick or Treat. Oh, then we, <laughs> they're, then they're we kind were, of like on the same line, really. It worked so, out well, didn't yeah. it? Uh, Tales of Halloween is a 2015 horror anthology from a lot of different filmmakers, like a lot. You got Neil Marshall, you got uh, Axel Carolyn, you got Lucky, Lucky McKee. McKee yeah. Uh, you got Mike Mendez, who did uh, Big Ass Spider, which is one of the better giant monster movies of the last 10 years or so. Um, and um, it's really, really good. Much like Trick or Treat, it all takes place in like one town over one like really spooky Halloween night. There's no real linking material. There's is a, there, there is a... Um, uh, the only real linking material, aside from the occasional incidental character, is the um, radio DJ. 
okay. in a very American graffiti kind of way. There's a radio DJ talking about scary stuff, but really not so much. But they are t- they all are in the same town. Uh, Tales of Halloween is everyone tells a short horror film, and because there are so many horror filmmakers involved in it, the shorts are pretty punchy. Oh, and this is a spry ninety-two minutes. So if not all of the shorts are great, they're short. <laughs> There's like if you don't like it, it'll be gone soon. There's like two or three shorts I don't care for in this movie. Mm. They're they're over in four minutes. We've yeah. moved on. And then there's another one that I really really like. Mm. So that's awesome. And I'll I'll tell you some of my favorites right now. The first one's really really great, and it feels like this a, is a good urban legend yeah, kind of great story. urban yeah. legend story. It's about a kid named Sweet Tooth, and the the kid comes home and he's eating his candy, and his older brother's like, "We got to save some candy for Sweet Tooth." And I was like, "Who's Sweet Tooth?" Mm-hmm. And it turns out Sweet Tooth was a kid who's like parents always took all of his candy at Halloween and said, "You can't have all that candy; it's bad for and you." And we flash back and we see the, yeah. the, the the parents taking the Halloween candy away from yeah. the kid and just eating it themselves. Yeah, and like and like in this really orgiastic way, yeah. and then the kid like sees it and the kid snaps and it turns into like this horror monster and that one's really ghoulish and weird yeah, that's yeah. a really fucked up short um i'm really fond of one called the night billy raised hell which stars barry bostwick oh yeah yeah. yeah that there's, one. there's a little kid plays a prank on a next door neighbor the next door neighbor is barry bostwick and he gets mad at the kid and the kid thinks he's in a lot of trouble and barry bostwick is just like you want to do some real pranks and then he <laughs> takes the kid out on the town and they do increasingly fucked up pranks to the point where they're like robbing liquor stores and Billy is shooting people and that one's fucked up um, there's uh, one about a guy who's like trying to protect the kids in town because he's literally married a witch like from uh, 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 Hansel and Gretel yeah that's right <laughs> so yeah. he's constantly like oh honey it's the they'll just give this one the candy right maybe the next one is the one we'll kidnap huh like it's really really tense and strange uh, the other really 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 fun one is uh, I think it's called This Means War and it mm-hmm. stars Dana Gould and it's about uh, competitive Halloween uh, decorations. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, like a okay. guy who's been like putting up, and he's been putting up this very elaborate but pretty innocent sort of Halloween mm. decoration experience in his community for years. But then there's like a bunch of new people across the street, and they're putting up like gory, fucked up shit on their front lawn, and they get into like this kind of like feud over it, like you see in like a sitcom, and then it turns shockingly violent. <laughs> and then it, and then the last one I really really like as well because the last one is about man eating pumpkins, which is such a good idea. What if jack o' lanterns tried to eat you? Uh, not enough pumpkins. Could have been better. Yeah, that's like, one. Like, that's like, one. Budget. They, that's a whole kept, movie. Really, they kept the pumpkins off camera for a lot of it, yeah. and it's like, no, I want to see these things bouncing around, biting people. I know, like, like killer clowns from outer space level rubberized special effects. That one ends in kind of a tease where it's basically like, we can do this one as a feature if you'd like. And to date, no one has, which is a shame because there's a whole movie in that. And I think Joe Dante even shows up in a cameo, and it's really really fun. Uh, but yeah, these shorts are all really really good for the most part. You get a couple of duds. Mostly really, really great. All different avenues, different aspects of Halloween. Lots of Halloween vibes. Um, I love this movie. I, this movie really deserves uh, uh, more of a reputation than it has. Yeah, I, I really like... Um, uh, the Lucky McKee short is, mm-hmm. is pretty interesting because it's actually kind of really downbeat and tragic. Yeah, because it's about the, uh, how sad this marriage is. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and it's you know relates to Halloween, but you know they actually like experienced a really horrible loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that... And uh, I think Lucky McKee is actually an incredibly sensitive film director. Yes, he is. He's, and, he's uh, way yeah. more interested in... 
and tragic characters than a lot of his other contemporaries. And and as for like the more fun ones, you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Friday the Thirty First, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> which is like what if Jason met an alien? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, it's a Jason movie. Like it's like Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, yeah, so there's this big, you know, lum- lumbering killers are sort of chasing mm-hmm. after teenagers, and then uh, it's killing the teenagers, and Interrupted is a space alien. Yeah. What if Jason made a space alien? Make that movie. I want to see that. That's, that's, that's great. That's, I guess a feature-length film. I should have mentioned that. You're right. That, yeah, that I, one is I really love uh, Friday the 31st. That's really, really fun. Mm. Yeah, it's really, really good. Oh, and there's a... There's, John Landis has a cameo in this one, and uh, his cameo is a little, like... Hey, do you know about the Landises? If you do, <laughs> the short has a deeper meaning. Uh-huh. It's actually kind of a dark joke. Um, so yeah, I'll just I'll just leave that one right there. But mm. um, yeah, if you have if you know about the various Landises and the controversies they've been around, mm. someone someone kind of made a short about that and <laughs> got John like, Landis like to participate. Yeah. They got John Landis to participate, which says a lot actually when you think about it. Anyway, what's your next pick? Uh, sorry, I was just looking at the cast of, oh, of Tales from Oh, it's huge. Yeah, it's, uh, one of them is uh, Lynn mm. Shea, Barbara Crampton, and uh, mm. with Mick Garris and yeah. Stuart Gordon show up yep. in that one. You got Greg Grunberg, uh, uh, let's see, Pat oh, Healy's Ruby in Stewart it. Stewart is in it. Yeah, uh, yeah the Dana Gould, uh, his rival is played by James Duvall. Yeah, John uh, Savage, Carolyn Williams. Yeah, yeah it's a great cast. Great cast. W- wonderful, wonderful. And Pat Healy's in one of them. Mm. Adrienne Barbeau is, uh, I think she plays the... Um, she's the DJ. She's yeah. the DJ. And didn't she play the DJ in The Fog? Yeah, she did. Okay, maybe it's so the same A little character. bit of a callback. Maybe it's the same character. Who knows? Oh, I like to think so. Yeah. And right, what's your next pick? Uh, what is my next pick? I'm I don't going know. To, I'm going to pick... Mm. Uh, you know what? I'm going to pick Cat's Eye. Oh, I picked that too. Okay. I like that movie a lot. That's a <laughs> yeah, very underappreciated movie. This is a, a Lewis Teague film, and it's based on uh, Stephen King stories. Yeah. Uh, this was what, right when Stephen King was kind of infiltrating cinema in earnest. Yeah, the early uh, 80s. He started off in the 70s. There was Carrie. Mm. Salem's Lot was on television. Mm. Uh, but by like the early 80s, we started getting just one banger after another. Yeah, we got was, The Dead Zone, Christine. And, 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 and The Shining, for yeah. instance. Uh, and and mixed in there was this film from 1985 called Cat's Eye, an anthology yeah. film. Uh, that was connected vaguely by a cat. Each story involved a cat, even mm-hmm. if it was just tan- tangentially. Uh, there are three stories. Uh, one is about a man who uh, makes a bet that he can climb around a building on a ledge. Yeah. And that's the whole short about how difficult and scary that was. And it's really high up, too. So, yeah. like, it's on, like, a skyscraper. So, like, the winds hmm. are, are really, really wild. And basically, he's told, like, if you don't even try, I'll kill you. Yeah. So, like, it's really just... Yeah. It's just intense. It's just an intense situation. Yeah. They create a situation by which someone would do that. And you see how frightening that would be. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Uh, the second film, uh, and it's my favorite one, mm-hmm. is it's the one with James Woods. I think it's uh, actually the first one, but it doesn't really Oh, well, yeah. I, I got... It's not important. Mix up the order. It's but, not um, uh, Quitters Incorporated oh, is... This one's great. Uh, <laughs> it's so J- great. James Woods, and uh, if you don't like James Woods, watch this one, because he gets uh, kind of tormented. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is, this is uh, one of the good ones. He wants to quit smoking, so yeah. and nothing's worked for him so far. So he goes to this, like, ultra-exclusive uh, kind of club called Quitters Incorporated. Yeah. He says, I, I really need you to help me. He's like, okay, well, here here's the deal. We, we don't... We're not going to treat you nice. We're not going to treat mm. you know, say that this is going to be easy. You're going to go cold turkey starting now. He's like, well, what are you talking about? Because if you don't, we're going to start you know 
torturing you and blowing things up. And, and it's like so fa- yeah. phase one, we're going to kidnap somebody and we're going to like shock them in this shock corridor and you have to watch them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then like, a, and then like, and, and then, then like their the wife that, will yeah. be attacked and like, ev- basically every single time you smoke, you smoke something increasingly, up, yeah. it's not, and it's not even just you, it's your family. Yeah. You have to, or we, and you willing, you are willingly engaging in this contract. And that's what makes it okay. And they even talk about how, yeah, we used to just be a mafia. <laughs> and then it turns out if you get someone to agree to this, it's perfectly legal. Yes. So they, they essentially like bully him and threaten his life and family into yeah. quitting smoking. And, yeah. And it kind of works. Yeah. Uh, I remember when, when he's first signing the contract, it's like, well, what happens if I slip up the third time? He just opens his coat. Don't slip up a third time. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a gun in there. Oh, it's so fucking dark. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, and it's super intense. And like, listen, when you have... An addiction like that. Mm. It's hard to quit. Like, you actually, like, everything in your body and everything in your mind is telling you just, like, yeah, but if you go back to it, it won't be that bad, right? Like, no, <laughs> like, this is, like, yeah. 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 And, and there are all kinds of, like, especially in the, in, in the 80s, but even now, there's all kinds of, like, gimmicks and programs and people preying on people who are having trouble. Yeah. And it's basically, give us money and we'll give well, you this magic cure for that. Or we'll, we'll help you quit, but there's no guarantee yeah. of anything. And, and so, that. like, just making it like horrifyingly horrifying, like, violent is 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 amazing. And then the last one uh, is the only one that is actually about the cat. The cat is very incidental to the first yeah, two. The, the, the cat does show up in the first two. Yeah, but and, it's not really about yeah. the cat anyway. But the cat is actually the star of the next one. It's called General because it turns out the cat is owned by a young Drew Barrymore. Is around the time she did Firestarter. Uh, oh, the also Stephen King. Yeah, or, exactly. That's why I brought they, it up. They, they remade it this year. It's one of the worst movies it's, this year. <laughs> it's bad that remake. The original isn't great either, but it's better than that. Uh, and Drew Barrymore is really, really good, and she's good in this too. She's a little girl. She's got a cat. Her mother hates the cat uh-huh. and doesn't want the cat around the house and doesn't trust the cat. I don't know why she's so anti-cat, but some people are. Uh, and unbeknownst to anyone, the cat is defending Drew Barrymore every night in her sleep from a little magical monster that lives on the walls of their house and is trying to steal her breath and kill her in and her sleep. And it's a, a monster out of, like, the movie Labyrinth. Yeah, like, it's very like fairy a, a tale. Little, yeah, like, like a jester's like, outfit. Jester's cap, and it's got, like, yeah, sort of like a medieval outfit and carries a little tiny knife. The tiny knife scared the shit out of me. I don't know why. When I, was, I saw this <laughs> when I was a kid, or at least and even just the cover is kind of scary. You see this thing in kind of silhouette. Yeah. And it's got this, like, weird, misshapen knife it's like that's not a knife that you would use to cut bread that's not <laughs> that's a knife a, that you would use hurt, in the kitchen that's a hurting tool that's a that's a knife that's there to kill and only kill like there's no other reason why you'd have that knife and it always scared the crap out of me and yeah and then it turns out the cat's been trying to protect drew barrymore like They're, chasing off this little yeah, monster yeah. mom doesn't understand that and she thinks the cat's been trying to kill drew barrymore so mm. she gets rid of the cat and now will the cat make it back in time to save drew barrymore and fight this demon to the death that's great. It's great suspense. <laughs> it's really fun. Like, ah, Cat's Eye is awesome, and I love Cat's Eye to pieces because Stephen King did a bunch of horror, and is involved in a bunch of horror anthologies, some better than others. Uh, this is one that people don't talk about as much, and I think it's because there's no interconnected framework other than there's a cat. Yeah. They, they don't, these stories don't belong together. They're not thematically linked in any meaningful way aside from the presence of a cat, which is incidental to two of them. So it doesn't have a lot of like personality as a whole film. I suppose not. But 
all the individual segments are great. Mm. Like they're really, really good. Like they're all <laughs> they're all awesome tales of the crypt episodes. Like I love mm. the pieces. So yeah, I'm glad you picked this. And, yeah, I, and I, I did too. Uh, the special effects on the little creature are pretty mm. good because it's an actor in a suit that they like yeah. used like force perspective and mm. special effects to sort of shrink down. Yeah. And uh, and it, there's a scene where the monster climbs up on Drew Barrymore's chest. Like oh, yeah. like the nightmare in the mm-hmm. painting, the nightmare yeah, by Jordan Fusilli, and and it pinches her nose, and for some reason that was what really got me in this movie when I when I saw it. When I was Makes you feel very vulnerable. Yeah, you know? like, like, yeah. Like this weird innocent touch is like this weird violation. That's all it would take to kill you if you think about it. Yeah, it's like yeah. oh, that's all it would take. Oh my god. And yeah, something about like they actually got her like nose to depress as this monster is grabbing her nose, and mm. yeah, just that really terrified me for some reason. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Uh, well, speaking of cats, uh-huh. my next uh, pick is a film entirely about cats. Uh, is it Cats? No. that's not. I guess that's kind of an anthology you film. You know, I wouldn't fight you if you put that on there. It is kind of a horrifying film. But no, I'm talking about a film I'm, I'm very, very fond of, even though it's kind of stupid. Uh, have you ever seen The Uncanny? Uh, I haven't seen the uncanny. The trailer, I know the uncanny. The trailer often makes the rounds in like the midnight circle, uh, midnight circuit because it's a fun trailer. Uh, here's here's the premise: Peter Cushing, the great Peter Cushing from a lot of many horror movies. He was in Star Wars: A New Hope. Uh, he goes to his book publisher and he's very frightened. And he says, "I I have put together a manifesto. I have come to a conclusion, a secret truth." about society that no one wants you to know and if you don't publish this book humanity is doomed and the holder's like well oh my god you seem very very serious well what what is the book about cats are trying to kill us all (laughs) you mean like big cats no the small ones like like little little they're they're after us (laughs) they're all after us they're all trying to kill us they're trying to make cats like scary like you'll you'll go home and you'll look at your cats kind of funny like i don't know maybe buster for jones but uh... (laughs) i had no can't trust buster for jones no um Buster for Smith. What was the name of that, that stupid character? That's, that's Buster. I think it's Buster for Jones, actually. Oh, okay. Was it Buster or Bustifer? It was Buster. It was Bustifer? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. The cats and cats have stupid names. Anyway. McCovity! McCovity! <laughs> he broke every human law. Every, literally every human M- law. McCavity did? According to the song, McCavity has broken literally every human law. So, like jaywalking tax evasion tax evasion yeah. how does a cat evade taxes i don't know he like he committed regicide like he killed a king at some point i don't know how he did that L- laws are different like from country to country or state every to state. human like, law like uh, even okay, the ha, stupid ones ha, ha, i'm gonna turn right on red no it's california shit yeah. i have to go to a different state and do it yeah like that kind of thing yeah anyway the uncanny uh Peter Cushing says, I have, I have stories to tell you. All these stories about uh, uh, the cats doing evil things. And it's uh, this guy is trying to, like, steal his mother's fortune and she's going to live all her money to her cats. Well, the cats won't have any of that. Vengeance. Uh, 
there's uh, one about um, a woman uh, who uh, she's got like a, a child has come to live with her because her parents died. She doesn't like the child, mm-hmm. and she doesn't like the child's cat. But the child finds a book of witchcraft, and that one actually isn't the cat's fault. That's actually the little girl who does that one. I really don't think the cat's really like the evil conspirator in that one. Okay, but whatever. Excuse me. Uh, and then there's another one about uh, 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 in Hollywood in the 1930s, a, a horror filmmaker, uh, a horror actor named Valentine Dayoth. Uh, <laughs> and you just you gotta love it. He's played by I Donald want Pleasance. My name to be Valentine Dayoth. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a he's a horror actor, and he's like conspiring to kill someone in an onset accident using all of like the ghoulish paraphernalia of his mad scientist movie. And of course, a cat gets involved. Um, the movie is steadfastly determined to make you terrified of the cutest little kitties. It's hard just, to do, because cats, yeah. cats are just cute little animals. Cats are cute. It's actually pretty hard to make cats look sinister on camera. People try. Uh-huh. Uh, it's happened, but I, th- I think Pet Cemetery did the best job of it, probably. It's, it's pronounced cemetery. Shut up. Anyway, I've got to tell you something. Stephen King, when he wrote that novel, Pet Cemetery, uh-huh. cemetery. He misspelled <laughs> cemetery on purpose because the whole idea the is with you? the whole point is like it's a bunch of kids made the sign for the pet cemetery because yeah, yeah, where they yeah. buried their pets and the kids <laughs> didn't know how to spell and they spelled it with like an S and an extra A and um, I have never been able to spell cemetery correctly <laughs> the first time because of that yeah. I I get there eventually but I always accidentally spell it the Stephen King way first oh. I'm still mad about that. And if I ever get a chance begin- to talk to Stephen King, I'm going to tell him. It begins with a C, and the rest, and all the vowels are E's. That's I know. All you need to know. It's so simple, right? But <laughs> it's just permanently emblazoned in my brain. It's like yeah. branded in there. Anyway, the uncanny is y- you got to give it credit for just having a premise, like a huge premise. Oh. Like it's not just like we had a bunch of British horror stories we wanted to put together, and we had a bunch of British actors. Like no, 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 no. We're trying to sell you on something. We're trying to do for cats what Jaws did for the beach. And uh, they fail, because <laughs> cats are very, very cute. But um, it's a novel film, it's a fun film, and I think it stands out in a way that even some arguably better horror anthologies don't. Okay. Because they're good, but they don't really stand out very much. Mm-hmm. And this one, at least, you'll remember the cat one. I. Uh, but it's fun, it's a fun watch. It occurs to me, there aren't too many features about cats, and I think it's because, yeah. A, cats are difficult to train. That's they're, true. They're, As actors, uh, yeah, they're very difficult. They're just, they're not... You, you're not yeah. going to find too many good cat actors. Plenty yeah. of good dog actors yeah. who have long careers in Hollywood. There's a fair number of yeah. animated films, Gay Paris, The Aristocats, yeah. that kind of thing. But uh, Oh, Lu- hi, Luca. Oh, we're talking about cats in the cat hi, shows. Oh, buddy, um, Luca wants to show up and talk about cats. So Do you I, like The Uncanny? Does it uncover your evil plot to be- kill everybody? Between yes, the un- it does. Oh, well, that's not good. Between The Uncanny <laughs> and Cat's Eye, and there was, all, uh, there was also a short in... Tales from the Dark Side yes. in the movie, which isn't on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, and that short's based on a Stephen King story. Yeah, about uh, uh, William Hickey, plays uh, yeah. this old millionaire in a mansion yeah. who hires a hitman. Played by Buster played Poindexter. Played by Buster Poindexter yeah. to assassinate a cat in his house. And it doesn't go well for Buster Poindexter. Oh my god, there's one image, too, I guess, technically, in, in that short, which is called Cat from Hell. Uh, there's, there's two images in that that are... So fucked up and gross. <laughs> the one right at the end. Is oh like, yeah. Oh my god. And it's absurd, really. But it's also just like it because it's a, something physical. Uh-huh. You just in your heart of hearts, you can kind of tell what that would probably feel like, and it would just be <laughs> the most awful thing ever. 
gives new meaning to the the oh no a hairball um <laughs> But uh, maybe cats do well in short, like anthology shorts, because you don't have to deal with the cat too much. <laughs> it's like you can get you can tell a short story mm-hmm. with a cat. It's difficult to tell a feature about a cat. Yeah. Well, what's your next pick? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to stick with Stephen King. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with Creep Show. Ah, Creep Show. Uh, I like Creep Show. I I really like Creep Show. All right. Uh, I was almost going to pick this as my number one. I was, okay, yeah. I was really, it was between this and one other, and I really, in a blink of an eye, I might have just switched. If, honestly, yeah. if you hadn't picked this now, I might have still gone with it. I hadn't oh, wow. finally still decided. Deciding. Still in the uh, back of my head. I, I have time. I could maybe switch it up. But it's brilliant, and it's on my list, Excuse too. Excuse me. You see, what are you doing? I, I was just sitting here, and he reached up, and he kind of nipped my finger. Oh, little, we have uncovered little... his secret plot. <laughs> He's trying to, trying to bite me. Luca. Luca, why are you biting me? I'm going to give him treats so that right. he'll be sa- he'll be sated. Well, let me tell you. Here, my cat lord. While you're doing that, I can, <laughs> I can you tell you about treats. Creep Show. Uh, Creep Show is a George Romero movie, uh, and it was made in the early '80s, prior to uh, the tales, the HBO Tales from the Crypt movie. Uh, but it was very openly inspired by those old hor- EC horror comics. I think those EC horror comics just warped a whole generation of readers. Uh, I remember when. Uh, if you watch the uh, extra features on the DVD for Tales from the Crypt, yeah. the producers, and they had like a star producer team. It was... Uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Robert, Robert Zemeckis, uh, Walter Hill, and Joel Bob, Silver. Was it um, Bob Gale, I think? <clears throat> and Bob Gale, yeah. yeah. Um, just They would go around to just the biggest filmmakers they could. Mm-hmm. First of all, Zemeckis and Walter Hill were filmmakers anyway, so they yeah. directed a couple episodes. But uh, And they told a story of how they would go to filmmakers and they would always... Whether they said yes or no and agreed to make an episode of Tales from the Crypt, they would always say there was one they remembered. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, but I remember reading this one when I was a kid. They went to Scorsese mm-hmm. and asked yeah. Scorsese, would you like to do an episode of Tales from the Crypt? He said, no, that's not my thing. I don't do the supernatural stuff. He doesn't have a supernatural movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the closest he gets is the uh, you know, Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, and so he says, so yeah, thank you for coming in. I'm not going to do Tales from the Crypt. And they were walking out. And then he, like, he shouted after them. But there was this one story I remember as a kid. <laughs> uh, Stephen King clearly had a lot of those. And he wanted to make an anthology film that was very much inspired by those. He and George Romero. Yeah. And the way they film this makes it look like a comic book. There's yeah. a lot of red lights blasted on people. Really there's garish a, colors. You know, there's like a, a lot of uh, like Dutch angles. There's a lot of close-ups of people, and mm. the background changes to sort of these abstract shapes mm. of like shock and horror, like like the comic lines you might see on a panel. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very outlandish. What we would call today maximalist filmmaking. Yeah, like it's not yeah. subtle in the slightest. And and it's mostly like morality fables. You know, mm. somebody commits some sort of error or commits a sin, and they're punished for it. Yeah. Uh, Father's Day. Uh, the father is this evil, uh, cantankerous old dude. He needs a cake on Father's Day. Where's my cake? Uh, it and, goes and bad. He's, and he's willing to leave the grave to get it. Um, there's a, a revenge story, uh, like with an Leslie infidelity Nielsen. with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson about <laughs> like being buried in the sand next to the beach. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, the there's crate. The, the crate, which uh, I've read the Stephen King story, The Crate, and mm-hmm. uh, that's another. Uh, it's, it's Hal Holbrook. Yeah. Has, has, uh, he has a wife he hates. Played by Adrian and, Barbeau again. Oh, there, there we yeah. go. She's back. And uh, 
wouldn't you know it, about the same time, he finds this mysterious crate. I think it's in a school. Yeah, he works uh, in a school. I think he's like in the archaeology or like yeah. anthropology department. And someone sends him a mysterious crate. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you open it, there's some kind of creature inside that like drags you in and kills you. Yeah, and, and it just sort of stays in there. And he gets his he gets it in his head. Well, I, I hate can my use wife. this to get yeah. to kill my wife. And mm-hmm. it's a little predictable, but it's a very creepy monster and very effective. Yeah. Uh, there's um oh there's one that Stephen King stars in. That's right. Is uh, what is Gordy? the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill? Jordy, yeah, um, Jody or Jordy, I forget. Uh, yeah, and yeah, he's and that's it's a one man, more or less a one man show. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Comet. He's this sort of ignorant hayseed kind of a character, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's a Comet overalls. like crash lands at his farm and he touches it like you uh, do, like in the blob. He does like the first thing you do is oh, I better touch this. And he burns uh, his fingers, and when he looks at the burn, yeah. little like green pods are growing where, like the, little, where he burned himself. Like a moss. And then all of a sudden he starts like... And it's Oh, it's too hot. He pours water on it, and it cracks open, and all the glop yeah. inside pours out. Yeah, and he starts yeah. turning gradually into kind of a swamp thing moss monster. And, yeah. You know, Stephen King isn't a great actor. But it works in this one, I think. Yeah, it's kind of perfect, I think actually. George Romero knows how to sort of film it in this like broad, cartoony way mm-hmm. that his bad acting... like works within the tone of the show no it's 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 just right and it, like and it's, it, yeah and it ends so sadly i know like, it's a real bummer a really kind of shocking way yeah uh, and then my favorite bit is uh like one of the best animal attack movies i've ever seen yeah it's really gross uh, well with uh with a uh, uh, sort of a germaphobe living in this hermetically yeah. sealed room it's kind of a howard hughes thing it's like he's yeah. rich and no one no one enters his hermetically sealed apartment and he's terrified of any kind of infection or any kind of vermin getting in but then cockroaches end up showing up in his apartment uh, and he becomes and he helpless. And he can't fight them off and he starts hallucinating cockroaches. Oh, and, gross. And the guy who's visiting him is a giant cockroach. Like, get away from you, me, cockroach. If you're phobic of bugs, that one's really fucked up. Which I am. Uh, I know, yeah, co- I cockroaches frighten the hell out of me. And uh, so, yeah, watching that film is just like me yeah. crawling up the walls to get away from the television. Yeah. Uh, which makes it effective. Yeah. It also has Creepshow, uh, a pretty damn good framing device, actually, because it's about mm. a, a kid who's reading EC type comics and his dad disappears. Proves. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I need to get these horrible comics away from him. And he takes the kid's comic away. And these are all like the stories that the kid like rips up the comic and these are all in the pages of the comic. And then the conclusion, which I want to ruin for you because it's great, ties the comic back in together and yeah, is yeah. really kind of creepy. Uh, Creepshow led to two sequels. Hmm. The first one is Creepshow 2, came out a few years later, still in the 80s. A uh, uh, bit I- of a mixed bag. I I like some of it. It was though. the first one I saw, oh, okay. uh, so I actually kind of have a soft spot for it. Yeah, it's not um, bad. Like I think the, f- the raft, the one in the middle, is okay. Uh, it's like these uh, teenagers go out swimming in a lake, and they, they go don't into a little a little raft, little wooden thing yeah. floating out in the lake. And, and there's uh, like a tar monster. Yeah, there's this like, like this oil slick slick of tar that's alive, and it can like, yeah. like, grab them and digest them. Really, really freaky. I've had a couple of nightmares like that ever since I saw that and, movie. Uh, uh, the, the first one is incredibly offensive. Uh, it's, yeah, um, it's called Old Chief. Woodenhead. Old Chief Woodenhead, and uh, it's about back in back in the day, tobacco stores and and like mm-hmm. cigar and cigarette stores would have a, a carving of a Native American man standing mm-hmm. out front with like the headdress holding cigar. There's a tobacco store near us that I think still has still one, has one of the, and yeah, yeah it's, it's one of these like weird racist old traditions that we're just like yeah. not getting rid of. Yeah. Um, I, I even uh, have a, a record by a band that's called Cigar Store Indians, and. Yeah. Um, uh, good band. It was made by some mm-hmm. of the people from Squirrel Nut Zippers, but yeah, that, yeah. that's what that's in re- reference to. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it's that one's not so good. No, um, it's a typical revenge thing, and it's got some people uh, who are 
not Native American playing Native Americans, and it's not great. I think it's Dorothy Lamore's last movie. Is it really? I oh, think that's I, true. Yeah, weird. That together. Uh, but then and, there's and it's um, George Kennedy too in that yeah. first one. Well, and then the last one's pretty good though. Uh, it's about a it's uh, about a woman who keeps seeing a hitchhiker on the road, and mm. the hitchhiker keeps getting more and more mangled. <laughs> it's yeah, like she accidentally yeah. hits it, but yeah. keeps on coming back. And it's basically the, a ripoff the, of an old Twilight Zone episode, yeah, but, but gorier, and it's good. The gore effects are amazing, yeah. and that just yeah how. Eventually, he's just yeah. like bloody glop, yeah. and barely able to hold a sign. That one has an animated framing device that, frankly, I think sucks. It's bad animation. <laughs> it's it's not great animation, and the story doesn't even work anywhere. When you get to like the ending, it's like, we were leading to this, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And the, I I know that Creepshow two, uh, mm-hmm. I forgot the name of the director, but he was like one of the special effects guys from the first one. Uh, I was uh, his name was Michael Gornick. Gornick, that's yeah. Right. Um, Creepshow 3 went straight to video many years later It's not very good I hear there's a, there's a Creepshow series now That I hear is actually quite good But I haven't actually sat I've down with it I've seen some of it And yeah, yeah. it is It's okay. you know, pretty pretty slick horror yeah. uh, Just horror anthology series But the original Creepshow is seriously a contender For the best horror yeah. anthology oh, movie ever yeah, yeah. It's really excitingly filmed It's genuinely quite scary Even though it's kind of garish and silly sometimes But they just the, it, the chemistry's all there Like everything is just right Yeah, yeah. Uh, And you, you gotta love it It's it's really really great um, I'm glad we got Tales from the Crypt after it Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like The one thing that's absent from Creepshow Is um, There's a certain kind of lasciviousness Yeah To uh Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. that Stephen King just never nailed. Stephen King, uh, like he wrote sex into a lot of his stories, but mm-hmm. I never got the sense that he was like a super sexual artist. He's like, not a sexy artist. storyteller. No, like, like he wasn't into like lust or people, uh, like, un- unless it was like a vice of if, some kind. If you read just like a compendium of even just Stephen King short stories, and then you read like one of Clive Barker's books of blood, like, you can yeah. see that Clive Barker is coming from a more sexual place as a storyteller. <laughs> it's just infecting, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's it's no. just it's very human, and you know horror is a lot about yeah. personal experience, not just psychological but physical. Yeah. And Clive Barker really really cares about that. And Stephen King not yeah. as interested. So, not as I, interested. I feel like um, there was and yeah. in. in, in uh, like there was a lot more sex in Tales from mm. the Crypt. There was also like uh, this weird sort of wicked enjoyment of watching people suffer. There's like a lot of Schadenfreude in Tales yeah. from the Crypt that's absent from uh, Creep Show. I think uh, I wouldn't necessarily put it in Creep Show. I think it's fine the way it is. But I love that element of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. So I'm glad we have both. It's more it's more lurid. I think yeah. in some ways. Um, well, here, okay, let me check in with you here because I have three left. How many do you have left? Oh, uh, let's see here. I have uh, one. I have four left. Okay, well, why don't you take the next one up? All right. Um, let's see. Uh, I want to talk about um, one of the sickest movies I've ever seen. Oh, is is, is this a, is this an Ittenbach film? This is. This oh, is Olaf god. Ittenbach. Oh my god! I can't believe you actually picked the Burning Moon. I picked the Burning Moon. Oh uh, my god! This, this movie is disgusting. The, the, uh, this company in in like the mid two thousands. I wish they were still around. I think they were like sort of this flash yeah. in the pan. Was videos. it Intervision? Intervision. Yeah, yeah. They uh, were put out cool. a lot of these really interesting video. They also did uh, Things, the Canadian film, <laughs> which is one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. Like, but in that, a, but that, it, not exaggeration. No, by no. the way. Things is a legitimate like, claim. Fascinate, fascinatingly, one of the worst films like that has been made. If you're if you're on a mission and this is there comes a point in every film lover's life where oh. they've seen all the good stuff and they want to see the really bad stuff. Yeah. And you go the through really the list extremes, of yeah. you go through the list of like the worst movies ever made and you see Plan Nine from Outer Space and you see Monos the Hands of Fate. 
uh, at some point, you'd better get to things because things <laughs> is a rite of passage. Yeah, it is a very bad, really, really special oh kind of a God, bad. It's, I, so it's, it's just two be... guys trapped in a cabin with like really <laughs> shitty like insect toys, and that's the movie. <laughs> No, no, those are those are interdimensional, of course, ant monsters, of course, and um, so fucking weird. I think her name is Amber Lynn, like a, oh yeah, like, like a really a legit high porn profile star. Yeah. porn star, like shows like, up as a newsreader and like, yeah, occasionally but, cuts to tell to what's on the TV and yeah, she's and, on and, it, and like, uh, oh, yeah, it was shot on VHS. You can't hear oh, a lot of God, it. These so guys, are just these drunken Canadian guys in a cabin. It's bad <laughs> a horror movie. I, I literally I watched. I, I, I sound like such a stoner this episode, but like I started watching this movie high. I got like ten minutes into it. I'm like, I'm gonna wait. Yeah, I gotta be sober for <laughs> this. I need to be sober for this. I don't. I need to be able to trust what I'm actually seeing to get through things. But they also put out no. films from absolutely putrid filmmaker Olaf Eatenbach. Uh, well. They really scoured for like a lot of these uh, mm. shot on VHS movies from all around the world. They did yeah. a lot of exploitation movies. Uh, uh, Burning Moon is from Germany. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, just too uh, short. Yeah, it's, it's barely and barely qualifies bar- honestly, yeah, so, but it's, it it does. And one of them takes up most of the running time. It's so actually it's, pretty lopsided. Still counts. Still, still counts. Still series. counts. But you should know what you're getting into. Yeah, um, I I um. I, I actually didn't almost select it because it's not very good, but there's one other horror film I've seen called Two Evil Eyes. Oh, which is yeah. another two-parter. That was, the, um, was that... It was Argento uh, and... Um, was it Romero or Gordon? I think it was Romero. Romero, yeah. Yeah, and they did like they did their uh, uh, Poe cycle. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? They're both boring. Yeah. It's not a scary movie. Yeah, there's a movie I almost... Uh, I, I watched it because I was just absolutely fascinated by its existence. There's a movie... Um, well, I wish I get it right. Spirits of the Dead. Oh, I and haven't seen this yeah, one. It's, uh, it's a like horror. I said, there were a lot I wanted to catch up on. I this is one I caught up on because I always thought it sounded interesting. And it was um, at, here are the filmmakers they got for this Poe anthology, which was all the rage: Edgar Allan Poe in the sixties. Uh, Roger Vadim, the director of Barbarella. Louis Maul, one of the most respected French filmmakers of his era, and Fellini. They all did Edgar Allan Poe stories. Uh-huh. None of them are very good. <laughs> well, shoot. Like some of them are like there's some of them are better than others and Terrence Stamp gives an incredible performance in one of them, but like it's they're not very good. So it didn't it didn't make runners up either, but like it's just it's weird fucking shit out there. And but none of them are weirder than Burning Moon. Uh, the the bookend material of the Burning Moon is oh, so uh, a, a young girl, uh, she's like seven or eight, is yeah. being babysat by like this nihilistic teen asshole. Uh, it's, it's her, it's her older brother. Yeah. Like it's her much older brother, mm-hmm. and he's doing drugs. He's listening to heavy metal. He's into Satan worship, and he's like, she's like, can you read me a bedtime story? And he like, tells oh, her, oh. and he pulls out like just the stuff he makes up, and what he makes up is. A absolutely inappropriate for an adult, let alone a child. That, but it's just I, he tells her the most horrifyingly I, violent stories. I, and I think I admire uh, a certain kind of movie that not only dares to be repellent, but actually like retains its repellent powers as time yeah. passes. Oh this yeah, was made in yeah. the early nineties, and, and it's, it's just still disgu- gross. It's just as disgusting today. And he tells two stories. One is like a blind date story mm. about a young woman who goes on a date with this creepy guy and he turns out he's a serial killer um and just a really elaborate murder and violence yeah, basically and, uh, there, there's yeah. a there's a scene in the movie where uh, somebody is split up the middle and it's like <sighs> one of like 
You're more so gross. It's gross, but you're also like it's gross in that Herschel Gordon Lewis sort of way. Yeah, you're sort of fascinated where, yeah, by like, how they did the effect yeah, on that low budget. It, it's the technicals of yeah. like making the blood effects that it is like, like I'm like, I'm watching somebody die. It's, you can smell the props. Yeah, like, like if you, you're you know on set, set, it would have an odor. Like that, it's like, kind of and you know that like duct tape kind of odor. And you know that they were filming all day, and that by the end of the day, it smelled and probably had bugs on it. Like yeah, it's just yeah. really gross. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. the, it, it's a movie that's like sort of telling its own the story of its own making as you're watching it. I yeah. think there's, that's kind of interesting too. There's a certain nobility mm-hmm. in that. And then there's a, a second short about uh, just a monstrous priest. And then that priest uh, goes to hell. Yeah. Uh, and we like, see... does, does these horrible things and then oh, goes God. to hell and is tortured in hell. And then like a lot of it is just, here's what it would be like to be gruesomely, viscerally tortured in hell. Yeah. And that's the film. <laughs> that's the whole there's... fucking thing. It's just absolutely... Mm. It's it's The whole movie exists... For people to watch it on a dare. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. one of those dare kind it's of movies. It's not even like things where it's like a gauntlet. It's all in good fun. We're going to watch this absolutely terrible film and see if you can get all the way through it. This is like, I fucking dare you to watch Burning Moon. Yeah, can like, you make it to the end of Burning like, Moon it, without it's, being grossed It's out. like yeah. someone was like, faces of death, I need to try to make something more repellent. <laughs> I want to make something that people will literally only watch just to see if someone can watch it without puking. Uh and uh, I, I made it through. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, was, it's I, was gross, I was grossed out. Yeah, it's really gross. It's, it's really gross. Yeah, yeah. Even if you have a, even if you have a strong stomach, you'll look at it and go, "Well, that is gross." Yeah, uh, yeah. and there, there are certain things uh, we we understand certain things about movies. Movies yeah. are meant to sort of entertain, and the reason uh, exploitation movies proliferate is because they mm. cater to very base desires within us. Uh, what I feel about there's like a certain era of gross out movies. It's like a certain type of gross out movie mm-hmm. made by filmmakers who didn't quite get the memo that oh yeah we like mm-hmm. to see violence we like to see murder in movies we like to see death and like people getting stalked and scream and that's like fun because it's fun to be scared and they say oh well if you like gross death i'll just be more gross and there's this weird kind of like outsider disconnect to a movie like the burning moon that makes it weirdly fascinating yeah um so i i i can't really recommend the burning moon. I think <laughs> by our description you'll know whether or not you'd be interested in seeing it. It's, it's also really it's a difficult very particular to, audience. It's really difficult to track down, but I rarely get a chance to talk about it, so I had to stop and recommend the burning moon. Well speaking of prurient obscure ultraviolet sleaze Oh, do you have one too? I do actually. Oh, do tell. This one was uh, introduced to me by some friends, and they were just like, "Oh, do you do you like to see like films on the edge, films on the fringe, like some of the weirdest, worst shit you've ever seen?" And I was like, "Yes, I do like that. <laughs> I do like that very much." What have you got for me? And they're like, "Have you ever seen Night Train to Terror?" <laughs> Have you ever seen Night Train to Terror? To drop the jeep off. Now, have you ever seen Night Train to Terror? I haven't seen Night Train. Oh my god! I've seen Night Train to Mudafine. Yes, (laughs) which is also quite bad. Uh, Night Train to Terror is a horror anthology, and here's the setup: we're on a train. Okay, in one of the cars on the train, there is a like a teen rock band that is performing throughout the entire movie. Okay, and then the other car on the train. That's fine. And on the other car on the train. Satan and God are sitting there and they're debating about whether humanity is good or evil. It's like a book of Job kind of thing. Yeah, kind of, basically. And they're discussing the the fate of humanity, basically. And um, we see in their debate, in their stories, different stories play out. Now, you might think that these stories would have 
something to do with anything that they're talking about. <laughs> you would be mostly wrong because the story is just it's actors playing yeah, God and Satan. Okay, that's yeah, all like animated. It's like actors playing God and Satan in a very right. very lousy low rent way. And then we see three stories. These three stories, which a are weirdly long, like they're longer um, than you might, even though the movie is like ninety eight minutes. The, the stories just feel like they're covering way more ground than a story in a in a horror anthology normally would. And the reason is because all the stories in this anthology are actually feature length movies that, for one reason or another, they couldn't finish mm -hmm. and they had to do something with. <laughs> So these are all, all right. like, like straight to video. Yeah. yeah, these are all straight to video feature. So like a lot of them are like a little incomprehensible, but they're all super extreme <clears throat> and weird. So like uh, there's one uh, about a guy who um, he accidentally kills his wife and he's sent to a mental institution where they hypnotize him into going out into the world and then bringing people to the hospital so that they can harvest all their organs mm -hmm. in a really gross and very specific and visceral uh, kind of way. Uh, then there's another one about a woman who uh, she wants to be an actress and uh, her boyfriend or husband uh, manipulates her into doing um, X-rated movies and the guy becomes obsessed with her and he falls in love with her and he seeks her out. And then it turns out that her husband isn't just manipulating her, he's also a Satanist and he's going to kidnap them oh and he's going to put through a whole bunch of different like weird saw death traps. Mm -hmm. And then there's a last one where Nazis, we have Nazis now and Nazis well, are, not? and Nazis are just Nazis because frankly, that's enough if you ask me, but uh, they're also uh, uh, the devil worshipers and the devil's going to show up. Uh, every single installment of this thing is, hallucinatorily hard to follow in some regards just but very striking though and it's the thing it's 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 weirdly absorbing in how like just absolutely in your face and intense all these things are and they're like desperately trying to keep your attention and it's hard to keep up sometimes and then we just cut back to this like fun teen rock band in a trade and then god's just like oh it is a hell of a story when they like took all that guy's organs out that was that's fucked up satan and then it all leads to like this stupid ass image. Uh, I don't. I, normally, when we review a film <laughs> like this, we talk about the stuff that happens in it. <laughs> I can't really tell you everything that happens in Night Train to Terror. It's it's a film that defies uh, conversation. You just kind of have to sit through it and and get um, get, get enjoy that ride because it's gonna get weird. Okay. And it's going to be hard to follow, but it's weirdly hypnotic. And when you understand that the reason why it is really, really hard to follow is because huge chunks of the story are missing because I never filmed it. You start appreciating like, just like, you had to, it's like when you find out there's, there's a movie called Beast of Yucca Flats. Goldman Francis movie. Yeah, it's a terrible motion picture. Like, well, it probably was well, always going to be. Yeah. But on top of it all, they filmed this thing. It's about people wandering around in the desert. Yeah, Tor, Tor Johnson is this ir irradiated guy and turns yeah. into, like, a monster. Yeah, Tor Johnson was a, was a wrestler in a very, very large frame. He was in a bunch of Ed Wood movies and a few other movies besides. And most people just cast him because all you really got to do is give him like some contact lenses and he looks kind of like a monster anyway. Mm -hmm. And he just wanders around being a monster. He barely has to do anything you might call acting. 
Um, so basically it's a bunch of people wandering around the desert for however long the movie is. It feels like three hours. Uh, and then on top of it all, it's like, it's like a 65 minute movie. It's I know like nothing. It feels long. <laughs> and a big reason why they lost the soundtrack. They recorded mm-hmm. audio and they so, literally lost it. So they had to figure out ways to sort of cover, cover it with like dubbing. Yeah. So it's basically a silent movie with really shitty dubbing and narration. And it's just, once you know that you can forgive it a little bit because all oh, those, that, that sucks. Yeah. That's even in the best circumstances. That's a horrible thing to have to happen. And uh, they did not have the best circumstances. So Night Train to Terror is this like really bizarre, super violent and gross. But, but you also just have to marvel at their moxie. Like you, you did it. <laughs> you made a movie out of it. <laughs> Somehow you made a movie. And I'm kind of proud yeah. of you for making this weird hallucinatory nonsense picture that you kind of just have to see to believe. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to watch... I've seen The Burning Moon. I think Night Train to Terror is a more fun watch. They're both okay, gross I, to the extreme, though. I, I haven't seen Night Train to Terror, and I agree. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> The Burning Moon is not pleasant. I think but... Night Train to Terror might be on Tubi right now, and you should check it out. Right. You would you would just... And you can do it in pieces, because it's an anthology. Yeah. I know you have a busy schedule, yeah. but Did you it's know, a hell of a thing. Uh, speaking of like bad anthology, but this is not on my list. This okay. is actually a really terrible movie, but it, it's a, a more recent, like mm. notably bad film. It's called Verotica. Oh, I still haven't seen this. You haven't seen Verotica? It's, it's, it's the a, one that Danzig directed, yeah, Glenn, right? <laughs> written and directed by Glenn Danzig. It's yeah. an anthology horror movie. Uh, Caden Cross uh, plays sort of like the, the Crypt Keeper. It, it's just unabashedly terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, the first story is completely bizarre. A woman takes a man back to her apartment, and you know, they're about to have sex. And mm-hmm. when he undresses her, she, she insists on keeping her shirt on because it turns out when she turns it off, she has eyeballs in her breasts. Oh, well, that's, yeah. And, uh, and he is completely Neat. shocked by her, her, and that's never explained. She has eyeballs oh, in her breasts. You'd think that and would she, be. And she cries, and she cries out of her breast eyeballs. Okay. And a tear lands on a spider, okay. and the spider grows into, like, a, a Spider-Man monster with, like, a bunch of arms, uh-huh. and he s- stalks around France killing people at her behest. Okay, so you know, like, like how some people keep like a little journal next to their bed and like write down their dreams before they forget them. Uh, Did Danzig just film that? I have no idea what the fuck <laughs> Glenn Danzig was doing with Veronica. That doesn't sound like a script. It sounds like yeah. a bunch of weird subconscious imagery that maybe you should talk to hmm. someone about. And uh, and some of the worst acting you've ever oh seen. My God. Yeah, the, the, just watch it just for the French waiter. Okay. Who, who can't do a French accent. Nice. It's like kids from your high school did it better. Awesome. All right. Uh, so I have only two left. Uh, and I have, I have three left. Okay. So um, get get going. All right. I'll, go, I'll get going. I'll get going here. Um, here's one uh, from the early 2000s. Okay. Uh, it's And it's um, a Korean and Japanese and Chinese film. Oh, is this Three Extremes? It's Three Extremes. Oh, that's um, an interesting choice. Okay. Which is a sequel to Three. Uh, there was one called Three Ellipsis Extremes. That was the mm-hmm. sequel. Uh, and this was it's the one I've seen. And uh, it was directed by uh, Fruit Chan, mm-hmm. Park Chan-wook, and Takashi Miike. Which is a hell uh, of a group of, of uh, directors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Fruit Chan, did, uh, the, the Chinese director, did a short called Dumplings. Which was... Actri- which was adapted into a feature at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the feature, too. Mm-hmm. I think the feature is better, but yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's about so an, an actress who wants to stay young and uh, yeah. goes to uh, this like homeopathic uh, medicine mm-hmm. woman who figures out uh, figure, this, this recipe for dumplings that will keep you young. And, yeah, she's and, made these recipes, and what goes into the dumplings is horrifying, shocking. Yeah, it's and, quite uh, horrifying. Yeah, and uh, of course she becomes addicted to the dumplings uh, because of course she does. Mm. Uh, the Park Chan Wook film, probably the best one, is mm. called Cut. And it's about a film director and his pianist wife who are kidnapped by uh, this man who's already killed his wife. And mm. he's kidnapped people and he's killing them because he can't stand how evil he is. Mm. Like, I'm going to kill good people because I'm evil and I'm jealous of their goodness. So it's like, okay. it's sort of like this weird self-perpetuating thing. Yeah, like, I, I kind of just want to point out your logical fallacy here, buddy. Well, I feel like Park Chan-wook makes films that take place in this universe that is set up to punish you. Like, mm-hmm. sudden punishment is like a common theme there you on know, Park Chan-wook's movies. Yeah. And uh, he says, uh, and he's like set up this really weird elaborate contraption where his wife is like tied down at a piano with her fingers on the keys. And there's these like razor wires wrapped around each of her fingers. And so she can't move. Otherwise, it'll cut off her fingers. And he says, every five minutes, I'm going to cut off one of your wife's fingers in front of you unless you murder that girl in the corner. And it's just, yeah, just sort of as time counts down on what happens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's really twisted. It's like yeah. five minutes goes off. He cuts off a finger. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, it's okay, honey. We can sew it back on. And then he puts it in a blender just oh. to destroy the finger. It's like, nope, you don't get to do that. <laughs> God. And yeah, then there's a, a twisted. The, the, the twisted 2000s was a fucked up decade for horror movies. You know what? The, yeah. it, it was a time when I got, uh, you know, the public was in the mood for like really extreme shit. Mm-hmm. And we had so a lot. We had a lot of shit to work through. If horror is a form of catharsis. Mm. We had a lot to work through in the in that yeah, decade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, all the torture movies were really big, yeah. and all you know, uh, yeah, just a lot of really extreme things were coming out at that time. And, and I'm uh, very curious if you can even remember what the Miike one is about because that is a weird fucking short. I, I, you know, I really couldn't tell you. It's called yeah. it's called the uh, box, box or the box, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's uh, Takashi Miike. T- tells a sort of flashback story about these kids who were being raised in the circus and one of their punishments was to be locked in this box uh, and whether it maybe it created magical doppelgangers too uh, in, and we're like flashing back and forth and you're not really sure like how much of this is hallucination how much of it is supernatural uh, it's Mike doing some sort of experimental movie and mm. I really couldn't tell you what he was getting at with this one there's a lot of really striking images in it a lot of st- like scary disconnected dream stuff that's going on. But yeah, I really couldn't tell you what, what box is all about, but it, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Really dry in. Oh yeah. No, these are like, these are the, just the very first shocking. One, the first yeah. one feels most like a little bit more like a traditional kind of twisted tales from the crypt kind of a story. Yeah. And it, and it, even though the, the movie is, you kind of see where it's going very, uh-huh. very quickly when they did it as a feature, it's very effective as a feature because okay. yeah, it's just a feature. solid human story. Like you, mm-hmm. it's about, you know, human failings and human obsession and, you know, it, it just makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, uh, Park Chan Wooks is a bit more of a Hitchcock Presents episode. You know, yeah, a little more locked in. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I, how you would expand that or if you would even even bother. And then I don't, I don't know what the and, fuck yeah. Mike is Mi- doing Mi- half is... the time, to be fair. So. <laughs> I mean, Mike has uh, quite the imagination. Yes, and, uh, that's what, true. Uh, this came out around the same time as one of my favorite Mike films. I've seen that... 
compared to how many movies he's made, I've only seen a small handful. He's made like literally a hundred. He's movies. made over a hundred films, yeah. but uh, and I've seen like maybe fifteen or twenty of them. Yeah. Uh, but he also made a film called Gozu around the same oh, time. Yeah. That's my favorite Mika. It's like yeah, a lot of he's doing this weird there. kind of uh, like riff on Lost Highway, and there's all this sort of really weird mm. imagery in it. This guy dreams of a man with a cow head, and his yakuza mentor disappears and then reappears as a young woman, and they kind of fall in love and. Yeah, it's all very strange. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, so yeah, th- these are three very interesting filmmakers mm-hmm. just trying stuff out, and they're trying and to be extreme. Like that yeah. is the stated purpose. We're going to really push your limits as uh-huh. an audience. Like, what are you willing to accept in terms of uh, violence and even just concept? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, yeah, it works better than you think. I, I, I again, I don't. Me, case film was just so damn weird and confusing. Maybe I don't even know what to do with it. But the first two are really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you have two more, so why don't you just take the, the okay. next one? Uh, my next one, and I bet this isn't on your list. This is one I I got to see like when I was in college as like part of the student film program. Okay. And it's like I hadn't heard of this movie, and it's a British anthology film from the seventies. Okay. And it's called Asylum. Uh, you know what? I almost watched that for this. Oh, I love Asylum. Yeah, because yeah, that's an Amicus movie, right? It's I had another a, Amicus film. I yeah. had a choice between watching that and Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. Okay, uh, which also has Peter Cushing. Which is also Peter Cushing. It's also like a, a you know prominent film of that era. And a lot of people consider it like one of the films that like started that wave. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'll watch that for historical significance. It's not that great. Well, that's too bad. Uh, yeah, it's, Asylum, it's fine. It's it's, it's right. not great. Yeah. Asylum is and Asylum is Peter yeah. Cushing. He, he yeah. was there. I'm convinced there are like six or seven Peter Cushings, and they all just sort of <laughs> split screen time between them. Okay. Uh, but the framing device is this is an insane asylum, and we're going to mm-hmm. take you from cell to cell and tell you the stories of these mad people who you know tell the story of how they got here. Right. Um, two really notable stories. Uh, one is a uh, man uh, has decided to. Um, I got, no, I guess the story is told by the woman who was uh, having an affair with a man who murdered his wife. Mm. And she learned what happened, and that's what really terrified her. And so it's a story about how this man is plotting to kill his wife, and mm. it's like, you know, very much like the crate. Like, there's a lot of hate and animosity. Yeah. And uh, he ends up just killing her, and of course, when you kill a person... You want to surely you want to get away with it. Oh yeah. So uh, he disposing of a body is a big problem. Sure. You have uh, to make your choices. Yeah, and so he decides to uh, sneak out the body in pieces. Mm. So he cut. Uh, cuts Popul- up- popular technique in movies. Uh huh. I've seen it. What <laughs> in movies? Right? What? Uh, so he cuts up the wife and then wraps like each individual piece in like butcher paper and yeah. tied with string. So it looks like a bunch of cuts of meat. And the idea is he's going to start sneaking these things out. And then the pieces come to life. Start rolling around. That's really, that's pretty creepy. awesome. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll see the poster. There's a like, face wrapped in, in brown paper with a string around it. It's from that story. Okay, cool. Uh, there's another story that uh, is kind of forgettable. is murder. I'll, let me look up some of the details. Because <laughs> uh, I... Um, I, I like the setup because it's actually like kind of spooky, haunted house, a lot of mm-hmm. lightning. Uh, and then there's... Um, uh, one about a tailor who's like really um, hypnotized by like the fabric he's working on okay uh, and uh, you know gets to has like visions of dead people uh, there's another one where uh, a mad scientist has con- convinced himself that he's able to transfer his consciousness into miniature robots with human heads okay and uh, <clears throat> that's when they really get to crack out their really cracking special effects 
I can't wait. It's actually really like stodgy and awful. <laughs> I'm sure it but is. There's a, a, a certain kind of low budget charm to bad special effects. Yes. That, uh, they're inviting yeah. you to use your imagination a little mm. bit, and there's something very, very campfire story about that. Like, I need your help, audience. Yeah, it's uh, like it's, I need you to clap in order to save Tinkerbell. Like that kind of thing. Well, I need you to no, clap no, in order for this <laughs> robot to, to be that scary. These robots are alive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's uh, like when I, when you watch a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. He doesn't use like state of the art special effects. I think he find Rob Zombie that is finds a, a serial killer who puts on a rubber Halloween mask. Uh, in order to scare you, is scarier than the mask. Yes. He's not trying to make the mask sort of the no. object of fear. It's the idea that someone would think that this unscary thing is scary because that means they're ready to kill you. It's yeah. like part of a ritual rather than you actually... Yeah. That, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. And I feel like that's something that's we, going on we, with uh, something like Asylum. We're putting on the cheap yeah. thing, but there's like something really insidious. We're, we're so there. aware of the trappings of horror mm-hmm. that we sometimes forget that the reason why that's supposed to be scary is something human. Mm-hmm. And the idea that someone who wants to murder you feels the need to put on like a, a weird mask because that allows them to disassociate yeah. or because they think it'll freak you out or even just to be just kind of make some kind of weird statement. It's something just like, yeah, you're not just killing me. You thought this out. And I don't mm. like that. That's, that's not good. That's, that's, that doesn't bode oh. well for me tonight. That's not oh, good. And I, and I forgot the, uh, there's a short with Charlotte Rampling and Britt Eklund. Ooh. And, uh, it's about an addict who keeps on seeing like this hallucinatory version of her friend, or maybe okay. her friend is really there, but you can't tell because of the addiction. And, right. uh, and it has, you know, Actual identities of these characters is revealed in a switch, but it's young Charlotte Rampling and, and Britt Eklund and that, you know, interesting cast. That's cool, yeah. You know, the Taylor one is the one with Peter Cushing in it. Um, Herbert Lom plays the mad scientist oh, from the, the Pink Panther movies who oh thinks he can put his brain into the dolls. Nice. Uh, Herbert Lom may, may be one of cinema's great maniacs oh, yes. in, in the Dreyfus character. Yeah, no, watching him, the first couple of, of uh, Pink Panther movies where he's just trying to, like, he's trying to keep his sanity... Mm-hmm. While Peter Sellers is driving him slowly mad. And then at the next couple of Pink Panther movies where he has long since given up on trying to keep his sanity. And he's literally like trying to take over the world. <laughs> it's like it's a weirdly satisfying character arc. <laughs> really believable. Um, so yeah, no, Amicus has always been a... Amicus and Hammer actually are there these incredibly like prolific horror studios. Mm-hmm. And I've seen more than probably a lot of people, but by my estimation, embarrassingly few films from age. And I've always trying to catch up a bit, but there's just so much. Mm. And I never quite know where to start. And I tried to watch a few Amicus movies because this is what they were famous for. This is what they did. They did horror anthologies. And I like the ones I saw. The only one that made my list was one that I'd already seen, which is Tales from the Crypt. Mm. There was a sequel to Tales from the Crypt called Vault of Horror, which is also yeah. quite good, it's but not, good, as, yeah. not as consistent as Tales from the Crypt. But it's good. And if you've oh. seen Tales from the Crypt, you should check it out. Um, my second to last pick, and this is this this one, my number one in Creep Show. We're all like vying for my number one. Okay. Uh, depending on my mood, they might switch. Uh, but this one is. One, it's not it's not the first horror anthology by any stretch, but it's probably the earliest one that's making any of our lists, and it's Dead of Night. Oh, which one is Dead of Night? Dead of Night is a 1945 uh, film from a bunch of different directors, 
Hmm. Alberto Cavalcanti, Charles Crichton, Robert Hamer, and Basil De- uh, Basil Dearden. Oh, I like Basil yeah. Dearden. Uh, and a lot, a lot of British films on this list. There, it's true. Yeah. I don't know why. It's a very British genre, I suppose. Uh, but um, it's a really, really, really great horror anthology, and it's also a really, really great framing device. A guy goes on a vacation to the country, and he goes to this a sort of a bed and breakfast, and everyone's sort of milling about there. And he goes in and says, Whoa... Deja vu. And they're like, really? Yeah, I've been here before. And you were there. Hmm. And you were there. And you were there. And I don't know what happens. But it's not going to be good. Something <laughs> bad is going to happen and I don't know what. And then everyone in like the bed and breakfast starts talking about how, oh, you're having some kind of psychic premonition. You know, I believe in the supernatural. Something supernatural happened to me once. And then they tell a story. Okay. About something that happened to them. Uh... Some of the stories are really, really fucking great. There's a creepy story about, uh, you know, sort of a room for one more kind of a, a <laughs> uh, you know, like hearse conductor, I think. Um, there's one about a creepy haunted mirror that someone's obsessed with, and that's really, really scary. Uh, there's one about a, a young girl who's got a big Christmas party. And she meets a friend at the Christmas party, and she doesn't uh, have, have anyone else to talk to, and they get very, very close, and she doesn't realize she might be talking to a ghost. Oh, God. <laughs> and then there's a stupid one about golfers. <laughs> what? One, this was, there's one story here that's totally, totally different from all the other ones. It's not a bad story in and of itself, but the other ones are, if not scary, at least kind of spooky. Huh. You know, like sort of like a like a, like the Christmas story isn't like terrifying, but it's a Christmas ghost story in the old fashioned vein. You know, yeah, like yeah. the veil has been lifted, and that's kind of ominous and macabre. And then there's a story about like two golfers, and they're like. Played by uh, Basil Radford and Naunton Wayne from The Lady Vanishes. They were this kind of like comedy duo of like kind of foppish British men. (laughs) And uh, they're golfers and then like one of them dies and haunts the other golfer in a very wacky comedy way. Kind of out of place and this is one of the reasons why it's not my number one because it just doesn't fit. Well, I mean that's, you can change tones in these kinds of films. Yeah, but it's only one. It's only one lot, that changes okay. the tone, so it really stands out like a sore thumb. If every single one had a different vibe, uh-huh. then I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. But they don't. All the other ones are at least vaguely ominous, if not outwardly ominous. Uh, the two centerpieces, much like Terror Tract, one of them is the framing device. Uh, the framing device ends in a twist. It's a twist that I think nowadays people have probably seen before in other Short stories, movies, horror anthologies. Uh, at the time, it was super novel. And indeed, mm-hmm. uh, it was so novel, it was so kind of mind-blowing, that it led to a theory about the formulation of the universe. It is one of the alternatives <laughs> to the Big Bang Theory. Okay. was inspired by the ending of Dead of Night. <laughs> which is really fucking cool. It's not a particularly widely believed theory, but right. it is a theory that is out there and had some traction. And I think that's an interesting bit of trivia. The part that everyone remembers, though, is the part with Michael Redgrave and the haunted ventriloquist doll. Okay. Now, now oh, I've, I've seen the doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a very. It's I, the picture I, everyone did, knows from this. Didn't they reuse the doll for the movie Devil Doll? I think they might have. Yeah, it's yeah. like the same scary doll, or, in a or, different film. Or yeah, I forget which one came first, but yeah, Michael Redgrave plays a, a very meek ventriloquist, and his ventriloquist dummy is very forceful and might be on a killing spree, and that wasn't trite yet. 
Like nowadays, that's been done to death and been done very, very well in everything from yeah, magic um, to child's play. Uh, uh, Devil Doll was sixty four. Okay, so, so yeah, that was when yeah, two decades him. earlier was Dead of Night. Um, but Michael Redgrave, who, if you're not familiar with Michael Redgrave, wonderful performer, soft spoken, but very, very handsome and charming. He was also in The Lady Vanishes, like Nonson and uh, uh, Wayne. Um, he was in The Importance of Being Earnest. Just a wonderfully funny, affable performer, and he's fucking terrifying in this like he's genuinely <laughs> truly terrifying giving a terrifying and terrified performance in the sequence this sequence is the huge standout but the whole thing is quite good and again even the golfing episode is good it just doesn't quite fit the tone and then you have that awesome ending that just sort of blows your fucking mind and if you see it when you're young enough and you haven't been exposed to that kind of a twist before it'll really get you nice um a lot of the horror anthologies that we watch today are basically going with the Dead of Night framework. It's okay. very it's very formative yeah, yeah. Uh, to the genre. Anyway, it's it's wonderful. It's spooky. It's got everything, and it holds up really good. Like some of the older horror movies, just aren't as scary as they were at the time. Yeah. Sensibilities change, uh, but in just a good old fashioned like spooky ghost story kind of way, Dead of Night really holds up really really great, and I love it to pieces. Mm. All right, and what's your number one? Uh. <sighs> My number one is I'm very curious. <laughs> like, what did you do? Not not a, a cl- not a cinema classic. Mm. Came out in nineteen sixty four. Okay, and it was part of a rather interesting little miniature wave of Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Oh, okay. That came out of American International Pictures. Okay. Uh, they all starred Vincent Price. Okay, of course they did. This one also stars Peter Lorre, and it's called Tales of Terror. I actually haven't seen this one. Oh, I'm, it's weird. I actually, I've seen most of those Poe cycles, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the three story, and they're all based on Poe uh, stories, kind of. Uh, yeah. These were very, very loose stories. Like they would use the the yeah. title of one Poe story, but it would actually be the yeah. story from a different Poe story. There, there were so many adaptations of Poe stories, especially from American International. Like Corman made this his whole bread and butter throughout the entire sixties, mm. that they pretty quickly ran through the ones that. Easily adapt to film. Yeah, like uh, Fall of the House of Usher is yeah. one of them. Uh, uh, Pit in the Pendulum is yeah, Mask uh, of the Red Death, and even that one they had to throw in Hop Frog. Yeah, like in addition, just to yeah, sort of pat it out, just to, to pat it out. Yeah, not all of Poe's stories are cinematic. Yeah, and some of them are actually like I mentioned in that uh, um, sort of uh, uh, bougie hmm. uh, uh, Spirits of the Dead. Horror anthology I was telling you about those are those are not cinematic stories. Those are actually very dull for the most part. Um, so tell me, which, what, what tales make it well, into the tales of terror? Uh, Morella is one of the tales. Okay, and that's uh, you know, a young woman goes to fi- uh, whose mother is dead goes to find her father. Her father's like, no, you. I hate you. I don't like you as my child because you killed your mother in childbirth. Wouldn't you know it? The mother comes mm-hmm. a lo- comes back to life and takes the life of the daughter, and they kind of like have this weird sort of like switch back and forth. Where one becomes like a dead body and the other one becomes a ghost, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate kind of how uh, just sort of how broad and open these movies are, and how well they deal with sort of like this like Saturday afternoon almost kid friendly sensibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like Tales from the Tales of Terror uh, gives me like a very William Castle vibe. This very playful sense of horror. It has, you know, a lot of grim uh, stuff and a lot of uh, you know, revenge and darkness, but it, there's also this, like, wink to it. 
And I've even heard this movie called a comedy before, mm-hmm. which I kind of get. Yeah. Uh, my a lot of movies are pretty impish. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is the middle story. That's the, it's called the Black Cat, but it's more based on the cask of Amontillado, uh, where uh, Peter Laurie plays an alcoholic, and uh, Vincent Price plays an enophile, and they meet in a bar and they have a drinking competition. Oh, I can I, I can identify any wine, and Peter Laurie's mm-hmm. down there like I can identify anything, and Vincent Price takes little sips of wine out of the like a cop around his neck, and Peter Laurie just takes giant swigs out straight out of the bottle. Yeah, and he's doing this so he can get free wine. Yeah, and uh, and it will end with Peter Laurie walling Vincent Price up. Of course, in, of course, in, in, in of course, wall, because it's an agrarian. Yeah. And then a cat yeah. gets in there and like so, so that's how the black cat gets involved. Okay, so th- those two come together pretty good. Kinda. Like, yeah, that makes sense mm. to put those two together. Yeah. Peter Laurie is so good. <laughs> of course <laughs> I, he I, is. I love Peter Laurie. This is my one of my favorite Peter Laurie performances. Yeah. Uh, just where he's this irascible kind of funny drunk who you know is capable of killing and does. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've I've called I've called you here to to celebrate your death. And of course, he passes out because he's poisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's then he wakes up and he's being walled up. Uh, and then there's the fact of the case of Monsieur Valdemar, uh, which is about, and this one's really twisted, mm. about a, a guy who's like suffering from like a terminal illness, and he hires a hypnotist to relieve him of the pain. The hypnotist, it turns out, is like this demonic dude who hypnotizes him and puts him in this like halfway into a hell dimension. Oh. Where he's gonna live, but he's being tortured eternally. Ah, and and he's still alive even as his body begins to decompose. Ah, it's like some pretty twisted shit. That's pretty dark. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, like like I said, I think the sensibility of a, a film like this, where it's like a really impish and fun, mm-hmm. is what takes it over the top. It's uh, the the horror is scary, but scary when you're a little kid, kind of a scary. Yeah. Like uh, kind of kind of wicked when you're a teenager and just just plain fun when you're grown up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, of and, and I feel like it represents this certain kind of era of uh, B filmmaking when it was at least making gestures towards being classy. Yeah. Like because like, these are period pieces. These are, these are period pieces. They're based on literature, but they're just as sleazy as anything that was coming out at the time. Yeah. Making for this really bizarre mixture of the high and the low. Yeah. Uh, which, which makes it. To me, makes it a lot more compelling. I, I love a lot of those films. Uh, I'm not a, not all of them, mm. but I would argue that Mask of the Red Death, Pit in the Pendulum, Tomb of Lygea. Mm. There's some really, really great Poe adaptations from Gorman, who is typically considered to be a very bad director. Yeah, yeah but he, he for some reason you give him Poe when he's good. He's, I don't know what happened. He's Weird. a better uh, producer than he is a filmmaker. He, he's made some legit good movies. Yeah, three or four out of a hundred he made. But, <laughs> yeah, still uh, after all that time, he better accidentally make some good ones. I, um, I, he what was uh, he made the Gunslinger, the one yeah, with Beverly Garland. I like that and, movie. Uh, I it's mean, it's cheap. Te- it's terrible. It's terrible, but, but there's, there's a... Garland there's, is good. No, it, it's it's watchable and... Sp- Here's the deal. The problems with that movie are not the story. It's not even the actors. It's just the sort of baseline incompetence. Like, <laughs> it's just sort there's of like... this wonderful tracking shot through this like old western town, which is clearly a repurposed set. Yeah. And we pan over to the alleyway, and there's two guys just sitting there still on horses. Uh-huh. And the camera keeps moving, and it's like, then they heard their cue. So that then they start walking they're, as they're if they've been They were supposed to be walking the whole time. The whole time. Yeah. yeah, it's really funny. Like, like, there's little, some... like Things like that are all throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's if you can look past those imperfections, it's actually mm. like... 
an actually pretty progressive story being told. And Beverly Garland is actually a really great action hero. And there's good stuff in there. So I can see through some of the din. I really can. Um, so I haven't seen that one. I need to, I guess. You know, I was just looking at the cast of Tales of Terror. Yeah. And uh, the cop in uh, The Black Cat was played by an actor named Lenny Weinreb. How do I know that? Uh, you know Lenny Weinreb. How do I know Lenny He played Lenny? the voice of Scrappy-Doo. Uh, <gasps> oh! <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that information. He was also on H.R. Puffin stuff. He played yeah. a, a lot of the voices in that Batman cart animated series we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, good for him. That's awesome. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my last pick... Um, Here's the thing about pretty much every movie we've talked about so far. Mm. There's not much of a point to most of them. It's basically just, you know, like we're all going to like sit around a campfire and share ghost stories, basically. And that's enough. That's the Mm. excuse for why we're here. We're here to tell you scary stories. And that's enough for most horror anthology movies. And that's all they really need. I'm not pretending that they need more than that. But my pick for the best horror anthology ever actually does have a point. There actually is like a legitimate reason for us to be here. Not just the framing device, but it's actually like centering around a salient theme that it's actually trying to make a a larger, more coherent point. And I'm talking about Rusty Cundiff's Tales from the Hood. (laughs) I considered putting this on. I love this movie. The original Tales from the Hood, I actually haven't seen the sequels. The original Mm -hmm. Tales from the Hood, it was marketed when it came out as a broad comedy. Yeah, it was it was um, the sort of uh, B movie black exploitation version of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, and th- hence the title. And like the commercials would have you believe this is a wacky comedy, and then people saw it and they didn't think it was very funny, and the word of mouth was really really terrible. And I didn't end up seeing it for quite a few years. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is not a comedy. Mm-hmm. This is actually a serious horror movie." With a mean spirited sense of humor to it, mm-hmm. but this is a serious work of horror, and all of the installments are really good and they're really pointed, and this is a horror classic that people don't talk about enough. And fortunately, I think in recent years, since it was able to get some sequels out and it's got some some clout to it, I think the tide has turned. But I'm here to say I really do think this is arguably the best horror anthology well, film ever. You put it at number one, so yeah. let's hear it. All right, so uh, Tales from the Hood, the the overarching uh, uh, story is a bunch of uh, guys who are trying to, uh, I think they're seeking drugs, and they end up breaking into a funeral home. Hmm. And the funeral home... Uh, is well, I think they're on the run, aren't they? They're on the run or something like yeah. that. But like they're they they go they break into a funeral home, and the funeral home is run by the great Clarence Williams the third, mm. who proceeds to tell them stories about the various people who are dead there. Yeah, and it seems like it's going to be cautionary tales in a very scare film kind of way. But these are actually pretty nuanced thematically uh, stories. Uh, the first one is about uh, a black police officer who is new. He's a rookie. He's got a bunch of white uh, partners. And um, he is in good, involved in one of his first nights on the job. And what looks like it's going to be like kind of like a routine traffic stump. But it turns out the guy is actually, his white partner has pulled over a civil rights activist hmm. who is then murdered. And this guy, because he feels the need to back the blue rather than actually be a responsible human being and understand what he's doing is wrong, helps cover it up. And it ends up coming back on him really, really bad. Um, And that one's just really 
sadly super relevant still to this day and it's very very effective there's another one called uh, boys do get bruised and this is a story about a young boy at a, a new school and his teacher begins to suspect that he might be in an abusive household mm. but nobody believes that he's actually has an abusive father because his father is played by david allen greer David Allen Greer, who's a comedian, is he's a comedian and he's considered to be just a very family friendly type of presence as a comedian, mm. uh, and and he's a great comedian. I think he's very very funny. Uh, he was um, uh, this was very against type for David Allen Greer at the time that David Allen Greer would be a terrifying father figure in a horror in fact, movie. Didn't, didn't this oh, David Allen Greer was one of the stars of In Living Color, which is yes. like a very important sketch comedy show. He was in In Living Color. He was, he was in the original Jumanji. <clears throat> he was a pretty big name for a while there. And he'd been in sort of in movies in and out for a while. He had some really funny bits in uh, Amazon Women on the Moon. Uh, but yeah, so here it's just casting this incredibly, right. <laughs> very funny bit in Amazon Women on the Moon. Right, yeah. But uh, yeah, here it's basically, he's the most terrifying character. In, the, in a horror movie And it doesn't go exactly where you think that's gonna go And where it goes is a really gruesome visual That will really stick with you And it's really excellent um, The next one is called KKK Comeuppance And it is about a, a racist senator Who is living in one of those like big uh, one of the big houses in the South that has a lot of history to it. Like, not not good history. <laughs> a lot of history to it. Yeah, which is a nice way of saying horrifyingly racist mm. crimes occurred there through people who were abused through slavery. And he gets his comeuppance. Uh, neither of us picked uh, uh, in, our, in our list a very famous horror anthology called Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. Uh, well, because apart from the doll, it's yeah. actually not a good movie. <laughs> and the doll has some racist connotations to it, and this oh. is Rusty Cundiff trying to take that image back okay. and actually trying to turn it into something that is more politically thoughtful. Uh, it, blunt, but actually has like a really good point to it. Yeah. And it's really super-duper creepy. And then the last one is... Oh, it's such a fucking surreal... I, I, mm, the easiest way to tell you about it would kind of ruin it, but uh, it's about... Um, uh, a gang member who uh, has killed people and he is sent to jail and he is told that the only way you can get out is if you sign up for this like experimental program that will mess with your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and in that program, his concept of morality is challenged and shifted and he's like given a, a, a cellmate who's a KKK member who, oh, and it's it asks some very difficult questions and it actually has some unpleasant observations to make but they're very challenging and um i think that installment is attempting to be surreal towards a point and maybe it overplays its hand a little bit there it could have stood to be a bit more uh a bit easier to understand i think mm. in the end it gets a little surreal but um yeah, I've, I've seen tales from the hood um yeah. but since I was in college, so yeah, yeah I can't really. Speak I think you to ought it. to rewatch because it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. uh, the Clarence Williams uh, framing device ends a little predictably. It's kind of where you think it's going to go, but uh, overall, I'll say that the makeup you see in that se sequence is really. Good. Oh, really I remember good. that. Yeah, it's really good. Like the whole production's really, really just well handled. Like it doesn't feel cheap. It actually feels like a really big studio project. Mm -hmm. uh, the performances are good across the board And yeah, all of the stories There isn't just like one weird one that doesn't belong there They're all centered around Meaningful themes 
of uh, uh, a black community and uh, civil rights. And mm. um, they're all talking about elements in which, in a lot of cases, black voices had been kept out of horror movies for a long time. Yeah. There weren't very many. There are a few. Like Ganja and Hess, you know, there's yeah, a few yeah. out there. But for the most part... Yeah, but yeah like name six more. Exactly. Like, I'm talking about serious ones, not like kind of campy ones like Blackula or Blackenstein. Like, there aren't enough. And it felt like with Tales from the Hood, Rusty Cundiff was trying to make up for lost time and produce mm-hmm. a whole bunch of them and, and they would all be really, really good in one horror anthology. And they're all really, really good. Yeah. Uh, there's some I like more than others, but they're all excellent and they're all smart and... Yeah, this is the kind of politically charged horror that I think people take for granted. This like a lot of people think that's a recent development, hmm. like this kind of a twenty four wave where things are really topical. A lot I'm, of time, it, well, it's you, never, but it's never has you, been. That. You, you know who makes those mistakes? Young people haven't I'm, seen a lot of movies. And this uh, is my point. And if you hmm. want to give a great example of sort of the the precursor to a lot of the films that we're talking about today, and that in that mindset. Tales on the Hood is a great one, mm-hmm. and it's excellent. Again, I haven't seen the sequels. I heard they weren't as good. I cannot vouch for them. But the original is a classic. It's really nice. fucking great, and I hope more people see it. All right. Uh, so that is my number one pick. So let's... Well, well, uh great. Yeah, we did it. Okay, so real, real fast, I'm going to uh, run through our top ten lists for people who want to just hear the names and want to write anything down. Uh, Whitney's top ten list was uh, the original Tales from the Crypt from the 1970s, Twilight Zone the movie, Southbound, Trick or Treat, the Michael Doherty film, uh, Cat's Eye, the Stephen King anthology, Creepshow, the Stephen King anthology, uh, The Burning Moon, which, Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, If if, if you want something out on the edge. Oh yeah. Yeah, Three Extremes, Asylum, also from the 70s, and Tales of Terror. Yes. And my top ten was the 1970s Tales from the Crypt, Terror Tracked, uh, VHS 94, Tales of Halloween, the Stephen King Horror Anthology Cat's Eye, the Stephen King Horror Anthology Creepshow, <laughs> uh, Night Train to Terror, The Uncanny, uh, Dead of Night, the original one from the 40s, there was like a, another film with that title in the 70s, and then the original Tales from the Hood. Whitney, do you have any runners-up uh, you want to quickly mention? Uh, I, I think I mentioned it. Like, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, is is fun. Um, mm-hmm. the, I like the cat sequence. I also like, uh, there's also a sequence with uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's sort of a, also a riff on Trilogy of Terror. Yeah. Uh, and there's also uh, a, a, a kind of an old campfire story with Radon Chong. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it's all pretty good. I actually like yeah. the framing device a lot, that one. It's about a kid trying to distract a witch who's yeah, going like, to kill him. Yeah, which is, yeah, like, from Jaharazad. Uh, yeah. I, I mentioned uh, Tales from Halloween already. I mentioned yeah. Heavy Metal already. Um I'm a little underwatched. You've mentioned a lot of movies okay. I haven't seen, so I, uh, I'll, I'll just say that uh, maybe my inexperience speaks a lot to what I put on my list. No, no, it's fine. And I, I, I we mostly mentioned the other stuff I had on my runners-up list. Uh, there's a very silly uh, film called The Monster Club, the where Monster Club, where the stories are not good. It's the framing device that's fun because it's Vincent Price playing an old. Very queer coded vampire who bites John Carradine, who's playing a very old uh, um, horror author. And it's sort of like he bites him in an alleyway, and it's all just kind of awkward afterwards. (laughs) And they're just sort of like putting on their jackets, like, so what do you want to do now? And then it's like they hooked up a little bit, yeah. And so Vincent Price is just like, well, we have an underground club I could take you to. And he takes him to this underground monster club. The best part is all of the incredibly like, 
dorky, dated musical performances in this club. <laughs> the actual segments aren't great, but the performances are really, really fun. So that one deserves a mention. I mentioned the sequel to Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror. Solid. Not top ten material, but very, very solid. Uh, the Lovecraft anthology Necronomicon oh, that's, is, that's pretty good is very gross. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, I, I like the soldiers go to like another dimension where there's like brain monsters yeah that, that was that, pretty that cool really it's a very loose adaptation yeah. but it's very good uh burning moon made my runners up because it is fucking weird uh <laughs> the, <laughs> give me so much grief for picking the burning moon I, and, I, you kinda, I, and you thought of it it was a red thought of it i All just right. didn't put it on there uh same thing with twilight zone uh i mentioned why it's a little inconsistent mm. uh the dungeon master is a weird one uh there's i think there's a i think that's one where the line uh I, I reject your reality and replace it with my own, which is a great line. Uh, there's a really good, very junky, low-rent uh, 86 anthology called Dead Time Stories. Oh, I, yeah, I missed Dead uh, Time Stories, okay. Yeah, Creepshow 2 is okay. Tales from the Dark Side is okay. Uh, Body Bags is okay. Uh, it's okay. I, I, the, it's very strange, because it's John Carpenter. When John Carpenter's off, yeah. he's way off, and uh, it's rare, but it happens. And that one with Stacey Keach with the alien hair is so fucking stupid. I know, it's, it's not great. It's the Toby think... Hooper short uh, with Mark Hamill, where he gets yeah, the... Yeah, that's, that's the good the, one. The, uh, he's a baseball pitcher who gets, like, a serial killer's eyeball. <laughs> yeah, it's And he starts old... seeing what the serial killer It's an old cliche, saw, but yeah. it, when done well, it's always fun. I don't think John Carpenter directed every installment of that. No, the, he did. Toby Hooper did that one. Uh, yeah, 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 John Carpenter did the other two, and the other okay. one was, like, in a, a gas, that gas station, station serial killer attack, yeah. Um, it was supposed to be, like, a anthology TV series and ended up turning into a movie instead. Mm. Um, let's see. There's a fun horror comedy anthology called Chillerama, mm. uh, which is enjoyably tasteless. Uh, Southbound made my runners up as well. VHS 2 made my runners up as well. Uh, and a movie I'm actually surprised you didn't put on there because I think you like it more than I do uh, The Company of Wolves. Which is technically a werewolf anthology. I, I suppose it is a werewolf anthology. Yeah. I see that more as like a, a solid piece. But yeah, yeah there's a lot of s stories and vignettes within yeah. the movie. Yeah, it stars the late uh, co-stars the late Angela Lansbury. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's all taking place in this very fairy tale yeah, uh, uh, universe, and the, all the fairy tales involving wolves mm -hmm. are treated as werewolf stories. Yeah, and, um, uh, it's pretty good. Neil Jordan directed it. Yeah, very it, creepy. It, because it's Neil Jordan, it's really like atmospheric. He does yeah. sort of slow shots and hazy photography. Uh, a lot of fun uh, wolf visuals. Um, yeah. A pretty good movie. It's pretty good. I, 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 like, I, I, I like the company of wolves. A lot of people really, really love it. I admire it more than I love it. and It didn't quite make my list, but it's worth a mention. Mm -hmm. um, and that is it for The Iron List. Uh, if you want to vote for the next episode of The Iron List, the poll will be up about the same time this episode goes live. And here are the options that are available for next month's Iron List. The best psychotronic movies. <laughs> this is very specific. Yeah, psychotronic uh, refers very specifically to uh, the psychotronic film guy, which is uh, uh, Michael Weldon put out these uh, gigantic guidebooks back mm. before the internet. Yeah, and, uh, these were guidebooks to cult cinema, which yeah, back like, then was like there wasn't a lot of like actual sort of scholarly work being done on the subject and mm -hmm. a lot of them were kind of hard to even find out about let alone track down yeah and, and michael j weldon put this huge compendium together and it's it's not just cult movies it refers to like a specific interest in 
a kind of extreme mayhem. And you read his yeah. write-ups on these movies and they describe some movies you probably heard of and know about in uh, like mm. B-movie terms, but in scholarly B-movie terms. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll delve into that a little bit more it, if that's the one it, that gets it's, noted for. It's a major tome and any of the movies that we pick would be films from that original book. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The best time travel movies. They're movies about time travel. You can wrap your head around that. Uh, the best films of 1982 for some reason. These are all movies that came out in 1982. Uh, and uh, speaking of Tales of Terror, the best American international pictures. No, that's an AIP. I'll, if you select AIP, dear listeners, I will not put Tales of Terror on it, so I don't yeah. talk about it. You can mention it on a bunch of... But yeah, American international pictures was... Uh, sort of an independently minded, mostly schlocky production company that operated for multiple decades in the mid 20th century. And they're back now. They actually like, made a couple movies recently. Mm. But uh, yeah, we'd be talking about movies that have that schlocky, Corman esque imprimatur. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you can vote for the latest in our series, the best movies that just happen to begin with the letter G. G. Golly. G. Gee. Yeah, all of those things are available to you. And, and all you gotta do is vote. And you can vote for them and we'll do it. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening. If Did we miss anything? Is there anything that you think we should have mentioned? Uh, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And of course, again, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network if you want to vote in polls and have a bunch of exclusive shows. Uh, you can join our Soap of the Month Club at patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, where you can get soap. We make soap. We make fancy soaps. Indeed. And uh, if you're a U.S. citizen, you can uh, buy one or two a month, and we make them special. You can vote for future soaps. It's very, very cool. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And until next time, that's, that's, that's the list. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.